Hey, I'm Ben Shapiro, and welcome to a very special edition of the Rubin Report, one Jew replacing another. Joining me today on his new set, after 34 glorious days off the grid, is the host of the Rubin Report, Dave Rubin. Welcome back, and I'm sorry, dude. Shapiro, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone right now. <laughs> Truly, I really do. I mean, first off, you're hosting my show. We're on a new set here, new chairs, new carpet, new table, new art, new everything. I have no, I genuinely, 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 I have no idea what's going on in the world since yeah. August 1st. I know one thing that I found out two days ago because my dad could not control himself in an idiotic <laughs> phone call. So I know one thing, I, I suspect it's a pretty big thing that, that has happened. I know you have a list of things. I have a list of 20 things here, 20 things that you missed during the last month because, as we all know, one month of time in Trump world is actually seven years of regular time. Yeah. So, but, but let's talk first about like what it was like to actually be off the grid for, for 34 days. So I do it like once a week, but you did it for 34 straight days, which has got to be both wonderful and also now you have to feel like you just jumped directly into a cesspool of crap. Well, I haven't jumped in yet. I think I'm we're about out. to. I will usher you in, There's the cesspool of That's crap right. right there. I mean, first off, I just, I, I feel great. I, I genuinely mean that. Like, as <laughs> I'm I, laughing because I'm going to no, I know. I'm gonna end this real I'm gonna just, I'm going with a little bit of like a <laughs> runway here and then you're going to you know, take us off into the ditch. But like, just in terms of like how I feel as a human being right now, I, my mind feels clear. I feel good. I feel positive. I feel very grateful for the things that I have. Oh, this last month, I mean, really, I don't know that I heard the word Trump more than three times. Truly, like, you know how every conversation now that anyone has anywhere, and I'm not even just talking about the world we live in, but just everywhere, people talk about Trump all the time, talk about politics all the time. Everyone thinks World War III is starting tomorrow or the Russians are just like this endless, like rancor monster of insanity. And I didn't have any of it for a month. I'm telling you that every interaction that I had with a human being since August 1st and today's September 4th, was good, it was decent. Whether I was talking to cashiers or waitresses or the girl at the hardware store who I've told you about who every time at this local hardware store I go to, she always goes, oh Dave, I love you, but I really love that Ben (laughs) Shapiro. It turns out that the hardware store is closing and I said to her the other day, I said, well, good luck in whatever you're gonna do. And she was like, ah, don't worry about it, I'm going to grad school now. (laughs) And it was just like talking to different people and I, I tried to do all that anyway and not be online all the time and not focus on the hate and all that monstrosity. But I just, I feel freaking clear, man. I really do. And I'm psyched that we that we did all these changes around here. It's and, beautiful, yeah. Well, I mean, I thank I'm, you for coming in and doing this. Well, I mean, and, I couldn't resist. I'm a sadist. And I sort of yeah. feel like, I, I sort of feel <laughs> like, you know, the guy who read the Game of Thrones books and then was waiting for the rest of the world to catch up on the Red Wedding. Yeah, That's, right, get, exactly. Get, 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 get ready, my friend. Oh, God, so this, is, gonna, this is going to be the red oh, show. Oh, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. But first, I, I want to ask you about, like, how hard was it to actually... You know, shut yourself off to, to actually put that phone in that safe because even yeah. for me, I do it once a week. But you know, the rest of the week, I find myself the phone's in my pocket. I'm checking Twitter almost as, as a reflex at this point. How yeah. hard was it to actually put it down for a month? That's, well, first that's off, I, I want to give a little credit to the Orthodox Jews out there because perhaps this Shabbat thing has has well, I guess it's not just an Orthodox thing, but has figured something out with getting off technology. Hey, well done, God. Because yeah, so good. <laughs> score one for God, right? Because. Look, I do. I try to do the weekends off in general, but I struggle with it sometimes. And a lot of times, if I'm on the road, you know, I've been on the road with Peterson for the last couple of months. So, like, if I'm on the road, it's like, yeah, what else am I going to be doing? You know, I can visit some tourist stuff and have some dinners or whatever. But I'm fiddling around on. Um, you know, I did this thing last month, uh, last year, last August, and it was, it was 
basically, you know, the first couple days, you're going into your pocket all the time. Like literally, you feel your phone there. You get those phantom vibrations, all of that stuff. And you feel like you need it. Or you know what I noticed was weird? Like if you're just, if I was just waiting for somebody, like when's the last time you just like waited on a corner yep. for somebody, you automatically look at your phone. Yep. You don't just stand there, even for 10 seconds, you don't just stand there and kind of like look around or people watch or just think or look at the sky or anything. You literally just go to your phone that moment. So that sort of thing I noticed, that in the moments of quiet, where I was doing nothing, if I was in between things, even if I was taking a shit, I'm on my phone usually. I am. And I suspect you Unsanitary, are too. But, but, true, yes. <laughs> but everyone's doing it. But guess what? I was pooping phone free. And then you have moments to think. I mean, I know this all sounds well, sort I'm of. about you pooping phone free, and I'm, but, I'm sorry that we did this, but. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, it just, look, even this, like avoiding the news in general is also work. Because what I realized is when you're off this for a little while, we are slammed with this nonsense all the time. And when I say nonsense, I don't mean the important things that I think you and I and a bunch of other people are trying to talk about and trying to deal with the difficult questions of the day, and I'm sure we're gonna get into some of that. But just the endless 24-hour news cycle of just drivel that keeps everybody angry at each other and, and confused about truth and distracted and, and clicking and all that. Even avoiding CNN, when you're not looking at television and don't have a phone was hard. CNN is wherever a muted television is, period. It's everywhere, airports, it's at the gym, it's at the local, you're gonna go to a burger joint, it's playing, or a diner or whatever. Everywhere, I went to get my car tuned up, it's playing in the lobby there. And I had to literally avoid watch, you know, because everything's breaking news and none of it's really breaking news, mm. they're actually breaking news, but you know, you, I had to actually avoid that. So I was at the gym and they have all these TVs up there and I had to literally do cardio with my head down because I didn't even want to avoid that. So we're just like slammed with all of this stuff. And I think when you step away from it a little bit, and I know you're very excited to get me I back really in, mm -hmm. but when you step away from a little bit, it does give you a little perspective. And I was also thinking about things like, I mean, as I said, every interaction I had was positive. Like this idea that we live in this country of like endlessly racist, evil people. When you're out there actually talking to real people, you know, and again, I do this, I try to do as much of this as I can normally, but then we're also in this digital thing. It's like, it's not like that. People are good. People want the same things. Yeah. Like, I, I so fundamentally believe that, and I, I've always believed it, but I really, really believe it now. now I used to think that the, the hope for the country rested in you know, the 40% of the population that was following this stuff closely, and the more I view this stuff now, I'm starting to think that the future of the country rests with the 60% who really do not follow this stuff closely. Well, that's the thing. It's like, well, what do you do then? Because part of me, literally like a week ago when I knew I was about to come back, I was like, man, like, why ever come back? Like, <laughs> go find something else to do. I wanted to be in the NBA. Like, find something else, you know? <laughs> And not that, I, you, I mean, you know how much, like you yeah. really know how much I love this and like I think what we're doing is so important and I think I'm a better person now and all this stuff. And, and after being on tour with Peterson for months where for months I've, I've been performing in front of thousands of people every night and it's this great love fest of people who are getting their lives together and disagree on what the marginal political issues are. But like all of that, greatness and it's like I could see because of because of all the evil that is out there and when I say evil I mean just like the hate and all the people that want to keep you clicking and angry and distracted and and fighting with everybody I could see why a lot of good people that we really need 
would just be like, I'm out altogether. I'm never gonna post again, I'm never gonna read this. I'm you know, and, and that's a real problem because then if we push out all the good people, now you have the middle majority that's endlessly just being slammed by one side. Dare I say that's partly why I think this whole intellectual dark web thing has, has taken root and has some meaning now. It's because I think for all of our differences, which we've discussed many of them, including abortion and death penalty and a whole bunch of other things, it's like we're trying to basically live in the same society together and, and not hate each other for whatever those differences are. And as I said to you last time you were, you were sitting here, it's like on something like abortion where we disagree, it's like, you know what, hopefully for the next 50 years we'll do this. And then maybe when I'm, uh, I'm a little older than you, so I'm 92, and where are you going to be in 50 years? Uh, I'll be 84. And you're 84. Like, maybe one of us will have moved one of us one way or another. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I know you're looking at me going, Ruben, you're not going to move me. But, you know, who knows what happens o over the course of time. But the only thing that will allow that. I'm more looking at you like, I don't know if I'm alive in 50 years. But <laughs> not well, my that's, that's habits, why but... I would recommend a digital detox. I'm yeah. telling you, I feel better. My heart feels better. My head feels better. I know this is a little corny, but I, I genuinely do feel that way. And it was also just making me want to reinvest in everything I'm doing. That's why we have a new set now and a new website and all this. It's like... I, I really like, I believe in this thing and I want to sort of take now these pieces that I just absorbed of the world over the last month and now apply them to all the stuff well, that you're we so calm and you're talk so, about and you're all so the time, Shapiro. And, and now I'm going to take oh, out God, the implements here, of torture. Okay, here we and go. And let's go to work, my friend. This episode of The Rubin Report is brought to you by our friends over at ZipRecruiter. One of the best parts of owning my small business is watching my talented employees work together to make a show for you week after week. I'm proud of the growing team that we've built here. Every employee was hand-selected to build a strong foundation for the business. Are you looking to build your foundation by expanding your all-star team? If you need a place to find qualified candidates, head over to ZipRecruiter.com slash Rubin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's best leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter then scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience, then invites them to apply directly to your job. That's not all. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you'll never miss a great match. The numbers don't lie. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Rubin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-U-B-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Rubin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You, know, you were promised a tsunami yeah. of news, and All so right. it shall be. So, right, when so last I know, you left the story, yeah. what, what was the last thing that you saw in the news? So okay. we know exactly what we're leaving off So here. the last thing that I know of was the day that I got off the, shut down everything, the last thing that I heard was that the New York Times hired that writer, the, the female Asian writer, and apparently she had tweeted a lot of anti-white Right, Sarah Zhang, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, so I know nothing, for all I know, she doesn't have a job now, she does have a job, she has a bigger so job than ever, she, she has a show on she CNN. Has a, she has a job. So she has cool. a job at, the C, at, at, New, at New, New York Times. Right, and there was blowback on anyone who suggested that she was a racist. The, the, a lot of the left came out and said that she couldn't be racist because racism is actually discrimination plus power. Yeah, so which she is nonsense. Right, so she, she still has a job, yeah. and that's totally okay. Let's be very clear on this because I am feeling clear-minded yes. right now. 
Racism is hating someone because of their race. It has nothing to do with power. Yeah, that can, was my impression. You can be black and hate white people and you're a racist. You can be white and hate Asian people and you're a racist. And you can be Asian and hate Latino people just because of their skin color and you are racist. No, not according to the New York Times. So yeah, Sarah well, Jones the New York Times job. is wrong. Right, so that's the, so that's the end of that story. Uh, meanwhile, Alex Jones got banned from Facebook. Wait, wait, wait. So she still has a job there. So, she, yes. so I saw a bunch of the tweets. The only one of the, the one tweet, look, I've joked, you know, before I sort of woke up, politically. I used to joke about Republicans being old white men a lot and whatever, and it was just stupid jokes, mm-hmm. and I, I don't regret them because it's just part of what made me me, sort of. I, I think they're stupid and they were short-sighted and maybe not very informed at that time. But one, the one tweet that I did see, and I think this might have been quite literally the last thing I saw before I shut down, was there was um, something about she like hated, she loves making old white people cry yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. And I thought that that kind of strikes. Uh, that kind of strikes me in a, in a different way. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? You know, so so there was a big argument that took place over Sarah Zhang, not just over her actual comments, but over whether she should be fired based on Twitter mobbing. So there was there's a big sort of discussion that happened about social media mobbing and people piling on and whether people ought to be fired and lose their jobs over old stuff that they've tweeted. Mm-hmm. And of course, that followed in the wake of the James Gunn stuff, which you were still here for. It was James Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy. You remember so, this whole right, thing? so that happened right, so just that, as I was getting off, and I was like, exactly. So James Gunn, who's Guardian of the, the, web, the Galaxy director, he lost his job because there were some old tweets of his that were that were you know making jokes about pedophilia and such. And right. so there was a lot of talk about Twitter mobbing, and then the Sarah Zhang thing happened, and that was a Twitter mob. And so there was a lot of talk about whether not whether she should have been hired, which is a separate conversation, but whether people should lose their jobs based on people digging up crap you did ten years ago and now coming after you. So let me get this straight. So. So she still has a job, despite yes. all that stuff. Roseanne Barr does not have a job Correct. because of one tweet, which I actually do believe that Roseanne didn't know that Valerie Jarrett was black. And Roseanne, Roseanne's a crazy person. Roseanne yeah. is what she is, yes. right? So I mean, Roseanne, she's a self-described crazy person. But, so right, so, like, <laughs> right, well, it depends which person you're talking to. There's right. a lot of people there. But, so, but I just want to understand all this if you're trying, because when you step right. away, it does seem a little odd. So Roseanne sends this one tweet, which she apologized for, said she didn't know that she was black. There's no right. reason to think that Roseanne has a history of racism. She's always been fighting for lefty causes forever, actually. So she gets fired from the number one sitcom in the country. Right. Then this girl, sorry, one more time. Sarah Zhang. Okay, yeah, Sarah Zhang, because I'm out of it a little yeah, bit. She, uh, she maintains her job. Correct. She maintains her job. And Gunn, is, Gunn got fired. From yeah, Gunn the, got fired. There was an attempt to bring him back, but that kind of failed. Yeah. Because it turns out there are pictures of him at some like joke, pedophilia-themed party with... The women were over age, but they're dressed as school children and such. So Disney was not going to maintain his job. So I don't, that, I don't even know what to do with all that. But I it, think partly, I guess, and I guess this is from stepping away for a little bit, it's just this sort of when we apply the standard. And certainly. That, that, I think that's what's driving people crazy, probably mostly conservatives and people on the right. Because yeah, it seems right. to always weigh much more heavily on, on you evil right, people. Right, well, you saw well, one, one of the facets of this that you missed was so Candace Owens then tweeted out everything Sarah Zhang had tweeted, mm-hmm. but with reversing the races, and Twitter immediately suspended her before no they shit. realized what she was doing. No so shit. They, yeah, good so, move, Candace. Yeah, so that, good was, move. so that was good. Okay, so meanwhile, Alex Jones gets banned from Facebook and iTunes. Uh, there's a coordinated hit on Alex Jones between, I believe it was Facebook and YouTube and iTunes to demonetize him and deny him platforms. Wow, basically. all in the same day? All in the same day. I think it was uh, within, within 48 hours. So it, it's fun to break this stuff to you. And, uh, and wow. So, Wait, so just demonetizing him? Uh, no, I think YouTube actually took down his entire channel. Oh, wow. Um, Wait, so and, Alex Jones is not on YouTube? Uh, I believe so. I haven't checked recently, but yes, that was the story. Uh, and and then, they all did this on the same day? Within 48 hours. 
so it was, it was, it was obviously a coordinated hit. Obviously a coordinated hit. Wow. And so they, they took him down. Uh, they gave various reasons why, but they didn't give any sort of objective reason why. So it wasn't like, some of them said it was because he had threatened violence in the past. Some of them said that it was because he had said unpalatable things in the past, but there was no clear standard. And so there are a lot of folks on the right saying, listen, even if you don't like Alex Jones, you know, people, I said this, I'm, I'm no Alex Jones fan. I mean, yeah. he's threatened me personally yeah, many yeah, times, yeah. right? But, but you, you got to at least articulate a clear standard for how you're going to police the boundaries here. Otherwise, everybody ends up in the, in the throw them overboard category because these boundaries are randomly expanding. So yeah, Alex Jones got hit. He hasn't really paid um, any serious monetary price because he has alternative distribution channels right. and, he's, and he's insulated himself. But if you lose those but, things, you get a massive hit. Oh yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, no he obviously what. took a uh, serious, although his listenership I'm sure is up because people are tuning in because So of where do you stand on this now? Because you know, for the last two years, I've been saying relentlessly, the answer is not government intervention. I, I just don't think that the government policing Facebook and YouTube and right. Twitter and all those things, that that will help anything. I think it would muck things up even worse. It would give more power to just middle management bureaucrats. And, and since the government's not very good at anything, I don't think it would be very good at... Uh, so President Trump know. has, this is one of the other stories, President Trump has sort of jumped into this and suggested So Trump's still president? He's still president. Oh, okay. He's still okay, president. Okay. So congratulations to you. Yeah, all right. You came back in time. Okay. You, didn't miss, you didn't miss the big finale. Oh. But this is <laughs> <laughs> I didn't miss number 20 there? Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. But uh, he, he was suggesting regulation. Some other Republicans have sort of put it out there. I don't agree with regulation, but I do think that we're going to have to come up with either some market-based solutions or we're going to have to you know, recognize and, and force Facebook and Twitter to be treated as, um, as not platforms, but as, as actual publishers, which right. is the real controversy over, over Facebook. Is it a platform or is it a publisher? Like over at Daily Wire, which I run, if we print something that is libelous, we'll be sued. Yeah. Right? I mean, legally libelous, we'll be sued. If Facebook puts up an article by us that is libelous, then... Facebook doesn't get sued. It's a platform. Yeah. But if they're not policing what can be put up and what cannot, at what point do you start saying, well, you're just like the Daily Wire or the New York Times or CNN, and you start getting policed that way? I think that Facebook either needs to demonstrate you know, what its objective standards are or start getting treated like any other publisher in the yeah. space. Because you if they're going to police, then they're policemen. Yeah, so you're right, and you're being consistent with, I think, what your other views are in this department. But... There is this piece of me that it's like, did we miss the boat in a weird way? Now that I've stepped away for a bit, like with the amount of people that are watching Rogan and watching you and me and the rest of the, and Sam and everybody else, it's like, why don't we have a network already? You know what I mean? Like, I know there's endless discussions yeah, about it. I, yeah. We've had discussions about it. We've met with people. I, I, but it's almost, there's something, it almost is like there's some other weird thing here. Like the amount of power that these companies have now amassed over us is bizarre. And it's like, if, if the crew of us can't figure out how to do it, who, who can figure out how to do it? I don't know what the answer to that is, but it does, I'm, I'm a little, I mean, this is where, of course, yeah. I'm for the market dictating it. So it's like, yeah, it's on So let's us get on and, it, yeah. Yeah, like, let's get cracking. Because at the end of the day, look, forget Jones. I, he's irrelevant, I think, in, in the scheme of whatever. But it's like, at the end of the day, you get rid of him, well, now you've moved the bar. It gets a, There's a lot of people that think that you're an extremist. Yeah. Oh, by the way, so I do want to mention this real quick. So one of the, there were a couple two or three little things that were rattling in my head about current events while I was away. And one of them was, a few weeks before I uh, went offline, was the Mark Duplass thing right. with you. And it, for some reason, it was really sticking with me while I was gone. Because for those that don't remember, Mark Duplass basically, Mark Duplass, who's a friend of mine, who's been on the show, who is a, a lefty and a, and a extremely decent human being. Yeah, he seemed being. like a nice guy. Yeah. I had breakfast with him like two weeks before the tweet was sent out. He is a really nice guy. He's trying to bridge the divide. Yeah, he came to the office. We spent an hour and a half together. He seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. He's just a nice guy trying to do some nice work. He mostly does, does comedy stuff. So 
uh, he tweeted out basically that Ben Shapiro isn't the devil. Right, the exactly. That's basically exactly. all that he tweeted out. I had good intentions out. and I was a nice guy. Yeah, that's it. And, and basically that people should take a look at you. Right. So, something like yeah, that. Yeah, give him a follow mind. if you're something. looking for somebody who's honest on the other side of the aisle or something. And yeah, so this happened a little bit before I went off the grid. But and then he deleted it and then the, he tweeted a, an abject Maoist apology. So the yeah. mob comes after him. He then tweets this thing about how he doesn't stand for homophobic or racist views, implying basically that you're racist, a racist or all, all the usual nonsense. And I don't want to make this about Mark because I think he's a good guy and I don't know what pressure came to bear on him, mm-hmm. either from studios or the mob. And it scares people. You don't want to lose your job. I texted him when he deleted the tweet and I said, I totally understand why you do that. I get it. And then the next morning he tweeted out that was some racist. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. good but, times. But it, that was really rattling in my head because... As I've stepped away, it's like, I know, and this goes to what I said earlier, we need these middle decent people who are willing to figure some things out. And it's like, they basically took him out. Yep. Like, and when I say they, it's like, who, who knows what that is? Is it just the mob? Is it, you know, studios? I, I don't know exactly what it is. But like, those are the types of people that we need. And this is why I would link it back to the Alex Jones thing. Yeah, they're it's shrinking like, the Overton window. The Overton yeah. window will continue to shrink. It's like, all right, we get rid of Jones one day, and no one wants to defend Jones, so fine, okay, he's gone. But they'll keep moving it, and they'll keep saying that Shapiro's this, or Rubin's that, or whatever it is. And eventually, eventually we'll be on the outside of that thing, too. And... Uh, that, that's very much on my mind right For sure. Now. Okay, yeah. so in other news, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez continues to sort of gain steam <laughs> as this... Really? Uh, as so this, she's gaining steam well, in a good I, I way? Well, I think she continues to gain sort of public prominence. But, she made a bunch of gaffes while you're out. Yeah. Uh, she suggests that the middle class doesn't exist anymore. She suggested that everybody in the country, even though the economic statistics are good, that's only because everybody jobs. has two jobs. So yeah, you, you saw I that saw part. that one. Okay, uh, and, uh, and then there was a bit of a tiff because I offered to host her on my show or debate her. Oh, right. And I offered to drop 10,000 bucks for the privilege, yeah. and she suggested I was catcalling her. So that was, uh, so that was her response, was that I was catcalling her, and, the, and there were mainstream editorials in the New York Times suggesting that it was sexist for me to offer her. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, no, that was good times. Not not a major story, but drove the news cycle for probably a couple of days. Um, So So you, I know you well enough, you offered to debate her. You offered to debate her or interview her? Either one. I said, said, whichever one you want. I said, I'm happy to have you on the Sunday special, which you've been on, for a discussion. I've had on a bunch of people I disagree with. I had on Sam on that special. I've had on Eric on that special. I've had on a bunch of people with whom I disagree on a variety of issues on that special. Uh, and, uh, And I said, I'll... You know, give ten thousand dollars to charity or to your campaign or a super PAC, whatever you want, uh, and or we can do a debate, whichever format you choose. Uh, and she tweeted back that she that there's no reason for her to respond to this is the equivalent of of men catcalling women, which is like I don't know how they catcall no, women in the Bronx. that's the equivalent but. of men treating women equally. That's what it is, that's what right? I thought, you're not viewing her. You're not going. I want to talk to this woman because she's a woman, so I can destroy her. You're going. This is somebody who I disagree with, or at least I want to explore their ideas a little bit more. We'll do it either way you want. Also, catcalling in me. Weird, <laughs> weird, weird move. So that, so that was kind of a minor story, and I don't want to hover on that one too much because it's too self No, but, it, but right? it does go to sort of a, a, a bigger thing, that these people are, are put out there with their ideas that all sound good. All of this, I mean, this is another thing that was rattling in my brain a lot. But all of this leftist stuff that I used to buy, you're for gays, you're for this, you're for poor people, it's all bullshit. It's all epic, endless horseshit. I mean, that really is all it is. You're not for gays. 
you're not, you know what I mean? It doesn't even make sense to say you're for gays because gays think differently. That, it's incredible, you'll never believe this. You get 10 gays in a room, they probably have 12 different opinions. And to say that you're, you're for black people, are you for black conservatives? I mean, I know you know this stuff, but again, when you step away from it, it's like, be in a weird way, and I hate to, I really hate to do this, but in a weird way, uh, Catherine Burble Singh, who's the last guest I had on uh, last week, but we had taped it at the end of Jan- uh, July, She's an educator in, in England. She had taught in the inner cities for a long time and basically realized that all these guilty liberals were just kept throwing money at things that were keeping minorities oppressed. And she said something that really hit me, and this is the last thing that I did before I left. She was basically saying, these people are the racists. They're the modern racists. And they're always screaming that we're all the racists. And I don't want to become them. So I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, you know, these lefties are all the racists, blah, blah, blah. But the, the, the racist ideas of the day are not coming from conservatives and libertarians. They're really not. And they're certainly not coming from classical liberals. Mm-hmm. They're coming from the progressives. That actually is just true. It just is. Okay, Shapiro, okay, keep going. Let's go. Okay, so let's do a bunch of Mueller updates because th- there was a bunch of news yeah. sort of Mueller land. But you've already told me Trump is still president, He's so still they president. didn't storm the castle yet. Right. right. All the, 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 the latest generic congressional ballot has Republicans down. I think it was uh, the NBC ballot today has them down 18. So Do, do you buy that? Um, I buy that Republicans are down. I don't, I don't think they're down 18, but I think the Republicans have some serious problems in the midterms. The, 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 I mean, Democrats have a lot of motivation to turn out. And, yeah. and, and they have since the election, because they feel like if they had turned out, they would have won the last election, which is true. So, yeah, right. so the, the, that's, that's been building. So here's what happened. I'm going to lump these all <laughs> together, because there's a lot. Okay, so Peter Strzok got fired. Uh, oh. Over at the over at the uh, at the FBI. Mm-hmm. So Peter Strzok, as everyone recalls, is the guy who is texting with his paramour Lisa Page and leading the Russian investigation and the Hillary investigation. Uh, and he was fired for essentially sullying the reputation of the FBI. So he ended up being fired. President okay. Trump revoked security clearances for people like John Brennan, uh, oh. the uh, former CIA director. There, there were rumors that was going to happen. Yeah, before so he did I that. He, he revoked his security clearance. So, so what do you make of that? Because I kind of, uh, I'm not a, I'm not an intelligence analyst at the highest levels here, but the idea that that Brennan and some of these guys were taking classified information and clearly leaking it to to the media or the Times or whatever, like forget what the information was, forget that Trump is president. If anyone was president and former officials who still have clearance. Which is also a little unclear to me. Why, as a former official, would you so, have clearance? Right. So, I mean, I guess the basic idea is that a former official, if I go to you for advice, I need to be asked to be able to ask you about that stuff. And it's still a crime if you leak classified information to the press, even if you no longer work for the government. That said, right. So that's a there, real there windy road. A, right yeah. There. There, there shouldn't be, you know, in my opinion, there shouldn't be like a blanket security clearance you get to maintain after you leave office. It seems silly to me. So, uh, who so, else was it? Anyone else important? Uh, yeah, I'm sure Brennan was probably the biggest one. Uh, Brennan was the biggest one. He threatened to do it to Comey, who I think no longer has clearance. Uh, and a bunch of other, basically what it looked like was a coordinated political hit by Trump, because Trump then went on Twitter and said, like, everybody I hate should no longer have a security clearance. And so people said, this is misuse of power, which, of course, President Trump doing everything in the dumbest possible way, it sort of is. Yeah. But that said, should these people have security clearances? Probably not. That was the minor news in this, yeah, in this area. Really? I mean, that, that's huge in a certain respect, but here okay. Is, here's the major news. Okay, okay. So the major news is that Michael Cohen, the president's former personal attorney, pled guilty to eight different crimes, including violation of campaign finance law. And in that plea of guilty for violation of campaign finance law, this is the red wedding part, uh, he suggested that the president of the United States ordered him to violate campaign finance law. So 
ordered him before he was president. So just as when, so the so here's what happened. He goes to pay off Stormy Daniels via basically David Pecker over at the National Enquirer. The idea was that this was a campaign finance contribution that he he had bought the story of Stormy Daniels from the National Enquirer in order to silence it. Okay. David Pecker had gone and bought Stormy Daniels' story, and then Team Trump buys the story from David Pecker, reimburses Pecker right. for the story. But to who keep paid, it quiet. whose money was that? So it was Michael Cohn's money. Yeah. So it looks like a it looks like a campaign contribution, and then Trump backfills the amount of money that Cohen paid over the course of, of coming months. Right. Now the question is whether Trump knew that they, he was violating campaign finance law when he did that. Right. So in other words, he, there are two ways he could have, just legally speaking, there are two ways that he could have avoided this being a campaign finance violation. He could have flat out written the check, He could have written right? the check okay. directly, okay. Uh, and then he would have had to report it as a campaign expenditure, presumably. Um, but why couldn't he write it, why a campaign expenditure? Why couldn't he have just written a check? So he can, no, he can, write, he can write a check, account. but he has to report that to the, the FEC. Right. Uh, or he can have Michael Cohen write a check. Um, well, he, he would have to have... He would have to do it personally, yeah. or he'd have to show that he basically used Cohen as a pass-through mm-hmm. and then report it to the FEC. But there was no report to the FEC, right? Mm-hmm. So basically the idea was that they found a back channel to pay her off just so it wouldn't be reported a week before the election. And so the idea is that he was essentially avoiding the reporting of the Stormy Daniels thing a week before the election by paying off a porn star. That's, and, and Michael Cohen was saying that Trump knew all of this and Trump ordered all of this, yeah. and that's why he did all of this. So. How are we supposed to get any truth out of this? This is the type of thing where it's like, again, stepping away, it's like, all right, we can do all the little legal loopholes, the little minutia, and look back on two years ago and who did this and that. But it's like, Michael Cohen probably wants to save his butt now from a certain amount of jail time. Right. So he's going to do whatever he can, obviously, to throw Trump under the bus. I have no doubt that Trump probably did some things out of, more out of just like, bravado and stupidity than like intention like do you think he really was like the crime that they're going to get trump on was that $250,000 payout to a porn star like how stupid is this whole thing well you know? so there are two ways in which trump could defend himself one he could say listen i pay off ladies all the time so this isn't a campaign expenditure at all yeah. this is just me paying off ladies do we know is do. there any history of michael cohen doing this for him before so there's a, there's a history of michael cohen kind of threatening people before yeah. but we haven't seen evidence that he's like paid off a bunch of ladies before. Yeah. And the other thing that, that Trump theoretically could do to avoid all of this is he could say, well, Michael Cohen's the lawyer. I didn't tell him to violate campaign finance law. It's his job to make sure that I'm in compliance with campaign finance law. I'm an idiot. Yeah. So what do I know about campaign finance law? I just said, Michael, go, go settle this thing up. I mean, that's the Hillary email excuse, right? Like, right. I, you right. know, I'm, right. a, I'm an idiot. And it's, I, it's not implausible, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a plausible defense. That said, his personal lawyer is testifying in open court that Trump told him to violate campaign finance law. Does that mean Trump gets prosecuted? That no, because you can't little... prosecute the former president. You can't prosecute the current president of the United States, just legally speaking, in all likelihood. But will that be ground zero for any impeachment right. charge? I'm sure that it will be. The same day that happened, by the way, because yes. we're all living in a TV show. The same day that happened, Paul yeah. Manafort, his former campaign manager, also pled guilty to eight felonies, none of them having to do with campaign Trump, yeah. but having to do with former campaign finance violations and representing the Ukrainian government and all of this kind of stuff. And then Trump starts tweeting about how Manafort's a good guy because he kept his mouth shut, which is because President Trump has yeah. diary of the, of the Twitter. Well, first off, so wait, so Cohen's going in there and saying Trump told him to violate camp finance, yes. campaign finance? I mean, that sounds actually insane. So if, if that's actually true, like if Trump actually s- sat him down and was like, here's the check, uh, let's violate some campaign finance. like. Now we're veering into like like true is that plausible? Well, it's it's that sounds it, it depends how much bananas, it, but it, it depends how much plausible deniability you need, right? right. It, if, if Trump said, "Here's a check for one hundred thirty thousand dollars, 
go settle this up. And Cohen said to him, well, we need to report that to the FEC. And he said, well, let's do cash. Mm-hmm. Right? Then, then, then you've got a problem. But yeah. we have to see what that looks like. And it hasn't been taken to that level yet. The SDNY is still checking into that. And so how do you, so a guy that's doing your show every day, yeah. talking about this stuff every day, I know you researched thoroughly, all of that. How do you find the ability to talk about the ins and outs honestly without without giving enough room where people are just going to guess on all of these things. I mean, because even that right there, is, like that's I, some real can, nuance right. that that's not going to be put on CNN. That's right. I mean, on CNN, it's he violated campaign finance law. This is a this is a federal violation. He should go to jail. Yeah. And the answer is, well, that depends on the credibility of Cohen. It depends on Trump's defense. It depends on a lot of stuff. Trump doesn't help himself because he goes on Twitter and just says shit. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's his thing. But it's, think about it, that. I have not seen a Trump tweet in a month. Well, good for 30, you. Thirty four. I mean, that's 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 a that's a daily relief. I'm Shapiro, sure. Thirty four fucking days. <laughs> I haven't seen a Trump tweet. Well, I mean, get ready, man, because there's some more coming. So yeah. that was it. So that was the big story because now the Democrats. But how think old they, is that story? Already? Uh, that story's the, two weeks old. So it's like is it already running out of steam? I mean, everything kind of. Kind of. Although you know, maybe it's contributing to the congressional ballot, for example, because it feels like there's a level of corruption that is being exacerbated by another political story, which is two Republican Congress people are being prosecuted for corruption right now. Duncan Hunter down in uh, SoCal in, in San Diego. He's being uh, also prosecuted for looking like he basically took a bunch of campaign finance, uh, campaign funds and used them on personal expenditures. And Chris Collins over in New York, who these were the first two congressional candidates who backed Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. And Collins came forth and, uh, and supposedly was engaged in some sort of insider trading deal. So both of them are now going to be prosecuted by the Sessions DOJ, which has led President Trump to attack Jeff Sessions at the <sighs> DOJ, and literally this morning tweet out, that, or last night tweet out, that, that Jeff Sessions is killing Republican congressional chances by indicting Republican Congress people. So that's all. Look, that's the all president, ha- he has his right to free speech. He's going to end up probably screwing himself over with all <laughs> his exercising of it. But yeah, like so- all of that, like when I'm hearing this, it's like, man, this is all just a great reason to ultimately be a libertarian. Like, no, it seems like none of this works. This is right. None of this actually works. Like, if it all worked, if there was a slim trim operating government that didn't have too much power and could just move things on the margin and not try to redistribute and all of these things, it's like, and it, and it worked and it wasn't always, all government does is investigate itself. All it does is throw money at things. Like it doesn't do anything. So all of these things, as you're telling me, I know these are important, relevant things. And when I fully dive back in, like they, but they in will. six months, they may not be. And in two weeks, they may not be because. But at least understanding they, yeah. the issues behind them are important. Yes. But like this, this general thing of like, oh, this guy campaign finance, this guy, that. This is all they do. This is all they do. And if you think Democrats are somehow better than Republicans, you're wrong. They're all doing it together. So I'm I'm sort of grouping these into political, and then we'll do some, and then there's a bunch of cultural stuff that sort of happens. So uh, other political stuff, the Kavanaugh hearing is happening literally as we speak right now. Uh, The Democrats tried to shut down the hearing from the beginning by uh, calling for an adjournment until they could read the documents, even though they've already come out and said they're not voting for Kavanaugh. Linda Sarsour got arrested because she showed up and uh, started yelling at, at Kavanaugh and at the Republicans, and so it kind of devolved into the spectacle we all knew that that would be. It, you know what? In in the spirit of my thirty four days off the grid, I'm not going to say a word about Linda. So, well, good for you, dude. That is, ooh, that is some inner peace right there, man. <laughs> uh, I, then, uh, wait, wait, pause though. So there's nothing they can do to stop Kavanaugh, no, no, right? He, so that's going that's going to happen. Uh, you know, you can, for the record, people can find this video somewhere. But when I was on TYT way back when, and and Harry Reid used the nuclear option, and I was still progressive, lefty, liberal, blah blah blah. 
uh, I said this is a bad move. This yep. is a bad move. You do not want to give this kind of power because it'll be used against you. So, and a bad move it was. So there, uh, there are two anti-Trump books that have come out. The first was from Amarosa Manigal. The media went nuts over this. She no. she had recordings. She she had taken her cell phone into like throughout the West Wing and recorded a bunch of conversations with pretty much everyone. Is that legal? Um, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, there was nothing classified on the recordings. Okay. Uh, it's basically she had nothing to sell and she sold whatever she had. Yeah. Um, but it was nonstop on cable news for twenty four hours a day for a week uh, and maybe two weeks. But she didn't the, get him saying anything. And then he and then he and then he tweeted out that that Amarosa was. Fired like a dog, and, one, and something like that. And, yeah. and that once a, he called was, her a dog, you're getting better at that. It's improving gradually. Yeah. Um, but when, once he called her a dog, then it turned into is Trump a racist because he called her a dog, even though he has called half of humanity members of the canine species. So, yeah. we, so we enjoyed two weeks of calling someone a dog talk. is actually an upgrade over you know what, usually what, what I think people. of most humans at the moment. That's exactly right. And then yeah. uh, Bob Woodward's book comes out this week, and yeah. there are a bunch of sort of. Typical Trumpian stories, John Kelly saying this place is miserable to work, and James Mattis saying Trump is basically a nut who wanted to uh, pull completely out of South Korea and ask for preemptive military options against North Korea, and various, and, and uh, I think it was Gary Cohn, like, sneaking documents off of Trump's desk so he wouldn't sign them and Trump not notice. <laughs> so all, all the things that you would expect in the yeah. Trump White House. Uh, so all that's coming out in Woodward's book, so expect Trump to tweet about that a lot this week. And then we get to some of the cultural issues. Okay. So at the VMAs, a bunch of stars bash Trump. No shock there. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me Hollywood people at an awards show were anti-Trump. I know, shocker. That was a big one. <laughs> ben, uh, this changes everything. I know. <laughs> uh, Asia Argento, who's a leader in the Me Too movement, was implicated in, uh, in her own Me Too scandal. Oh, so cool. there's a 17-year-old boy who had once played her son in a movie, I guess, and when he was 17 and she was 30, 38, I believe, uh, they went to a hotel room. She stripped him, uh, and uh, apparent, and which is statutory rape in the state of California. And he uh, and he said that basically he'd been intimidated into it. And wow. she was hit with this Me Too stuff also. And then Rose McGowan came out and said we should wait until all the evidence is in, which provided all sorts of fodder for people who say you know maybe we ought to wait for all the evidence to come in. So it's interesting now now that it's turning on on its own people. Now we should wait, right? Like right. Trudeau was like we have to believe all women, then it came for him, now we have to wait. It comes for one of the me too people, now we have to wait. So this is bizarre. So that happens and and uh Sarsour, this she was part of me too. So this is this is a bad day. Yeah, there's for also the a story with uh, I think it was a New York that. University professor who was like a performance artist who's a lesbian, but she was accused of sexually harassing a gay man. Uh, and it's relatively credible. A lesbian and was sexually harassing a gay man. She's not a very good lesbian. I think that she's this is been, a terrible been, lesbian. Yeah, exactly. She's bad at bad at the lesbianism. So, yeah. uh, it's so that that and the entire academy came out to defend her, of course, because she's of the left, and that's the way this works. Um, let's but, see. But how is a lesbian sexually harassing a gay man? I mean, she was sending him sexual messages. I mean, they have the text messages. So again. Not good at the lesbianic. Think how stupid this whole thing is. I mean, look, I, look. <laughs> of course you got to get the bad guys, the, the Harvey Weinsteins. Of course the people that genuinely do the bad things, that you have to get them. But the, the thing that we're creating here where people are going to be afraid of their own shadows, and, you know, we're in L.A. here. I, I have a friend who's been in, in uh, the, I don't want to give away too much, who's been in the biz mm-hmm. on, the, on the other side of the camera for a long time, who's a white male in his probably late 50s. He's, he's done extremely good work for a long time. He's worked on a million TV shows that you know well. He's now, you know, the way it works with these shows is you usually work a season or two and then you move on to something else or right. there's huge gaps in between seasons or, or sometimes you just work for a studio and they throw you in all these different places. He's telling me now that he's being told by executives that as a white male, 
as a straight white male that basically he should either start looking for other work or just don't expect to work anymore. I mean, think how actually dangerous that is. Like, dangerous this to people who have, this is a good, decent man who has worked his whole life, who's an extremely professional, competent person. But even if he was completely incompetent, right. you should not hire him for incompetence, <laughs> but not hire, no, don't not hire him because. Well, I mean, Henry Cavill, I mean, I think this is before he left. You remember Henry Cavill said about dating, that, he oh, was the, having, that, yeah. that he's only going to date when he knows because he's afraid that he's going to get caught in a Me Too situation just because he's rich and famous. Yeah. And he got killed for that. And I, I don't blame him for that. I mean, honestly, I can't blame somebody. Like, if you're famous and you have money, yeah. the cha- like, the Pence rule works well for, for everybody, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, the much yeah. maligned Pence rule. Like, this is, this is right. stuff Right, it's like Pence isn't harassing anybody. But one other thing on this, you know, they also don't realize how backwards this is actually going to work. Because, so, for example, I was just telling you, we, we just hired an, a new full-timer here, so I have a, a new assistant, Helen, who's wonderful. And when we were hiring, it did pop in my brain for a second that I would not want to hire a gay man. I don't want to, not because I'm going to harass them, I'm not going to harass them, but why would I hire someone who might one day turn on me and then be like, Dave harassed me? Now, I happen to be gay, so it seems that I may, if I was going to harass someone, it would be a gay man, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess it could be a straight man, too, or whatever. But it's like, you know, so in a weird way, I, and... We, and my mom, listen, my you know, mom, it's like you my mom is this, a working woman, and she yeah. said, I mean, she, she literally worked while my dad stayed home, and I remember when I was young, she said, if ever you have an assistant, hire like a blue-haired old lady. Yeah. Specifically right, for this right, reason. Right. You're saying this like 20 years right. ago. Right, it's Betty so. White looking for work. Yeah. <laughs> the Rubin Report is brought to you by our friends over at Simply Safe. Let's talk about something near and dear to my heart home security. With my studio in my home, my team and I spent hours researching the best home security system out there, not only to protect us, but also all of our equipment. That's when we came across Simply Safe, an affordable and reliable home security company. Here's why I'm a big fan of Simply Safe home security Simply Safe is ready for anything that gets thrown at it. Simply Safe home security didn't just build backups, they built backups for those backups. There's no single point of failure, so even when the unexpected occurs, you can get the home monitoring you need to keep your family safe. If a storm takes out your power, Simply Safe is ready. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. Say a burglar destroys your keypad or siren, Simply Safe will still get you the help you need. Sure, maybe it's overkill, maybe you don't need to be ready for every worst case scenario, but that's what makes Simply Safe's home security system so great. It's always ready. For this level of protection, Simply Safe could cost an arm and a leg, but it doesn't. Instead, Simply Safe only charges you what's fair. Simply Safe has no contracts to wade through and no hidden fees. With Simply Safe, 24/7 professional security monitoring is just $14.99 a month. That's right, only $14.99 a month. I recommend Simply Safe to everyone I know. You've got to see it to believe it. Go to simplysafe.com/ruben today. That's simplysafe.com/ruben to protect your home and family today simplysafe.com slash Ruben. Yeah. All right, so let's yeah. see. What, what else happened while you were out? Oh, well, okay, so this was, this was a big controversy. So Molly Tibbetts uh, was a 20-year-old Iowan student at University of Iowa, and she was kidnapped and murdered by a guy who turned out to be an illegal immigrant. And this became a major cause celeb because President Trump commented about it, talking specifically about border policy. A lot of people on the right jumped on it, specifically yeah. about where, border where policy. Where was it? I was in Iowa. Okay. Uh, and, the, and the left suggested, of course, it had nothing to do with illegal immigration. It was bad to talk about it. We should never talk about this sort of thing. You know, the same left that says every time there's a mass shooting, we have to talk about gun control now. Yeah. They say when it comes to this, you can't talk about illegal immigration. President Trump tweeted incessantly about it. He cut a bunch of videos, like from the White House lawn, talking 
about it. And this became kind of political fodder. The family said, like, we don't want any part of this. Please don't politicize it. She was on the left. Her family's on the left. Um, and uh, it turned into a bit of a brouhaha. Yeah, so where are we at with this now? Like, I mean, the investigation, the guy's been arrested. He's going to go to jail, presumably. Uh, but the sort of battle is, is less over what happened in the case and more over the politicization of particular situations. Like, should we be talking about broad-based policy based on individual circumstances? Uh, is it cynical to do so? When is it appropriate to do so? So it sort of generated that conversation. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the ones where it's like, this is exactly why I do this show to talk about ideas and not every little instance of a thing that happens. Now, of course, this, this sounds absolutely horrific, but the way, like, one thing that I really don't miss after being away is, like, the three days that everyone cares, and then we don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. Net neutrality is gonna destroy the world. We scream about it for three days, then we forget about it. Children being separated, we scream about it for three days. And it's also, like, everyone's screaming, not doing. All the people that are even, get, the people that are getting 20,000 retweets on all the things that they're tweeting out, it's like, are you doing anything about it? Now, I get it. It's important to share your thoughts and to talk. Um, but one of the things that I really want to do over the course of the next year is figure out how do we put some of this stuff into action? Because all we do is go from one crisis to another. We pick this. It gets politicized by Trump for immigration purposes. It gets politicized for the other guys for open borders or whatever it is. And it's like, nothing got better after that. Yeah. Actually, we just... We just kick the can down the road to hell. Like that, that, ugh. So we have a couple more kind of minor ones and then there are a couple major ones to finish up with. So okay. the, the other minor ones, uh, Ron DeSantis, candidate in Florida, so he won his gubernatorial primary. Okay. Uh, the guy who ran against him, uh, who won the primary on the Democratic side, is a guy named Andrew Gillum, uh, who's a black guy. And when DeSantis, he did an interview very early on talking about how Gillum was a good candidate who had outdebated folks. Uh, and he said, you know, we have a good economy now. We don't need the guy who's a socialist because Gillum is very far to the left. Gillum, he says, we don't need somebody who's a socialist to come in and, so- and sort of monkey things up for, for the state mm. of Florida. And this became a 48-hour news cycle in which DeSantis was accused of being a racist for using the phrase monkey it up in regards to socialism screwing with the capitalist economy, but he'd use the phrase monkey as a verb, and therefore he was obviously race-baiting and, and dog-whistling to the evil racists who now are going to realize Andrew Gillum's a black man. Right, so allow me to play the simple son to my Jewish friend here. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any evidence that he's an actual racist no. beyond this comment? No. Okay, so this is like, remember when Howard Cosell, it's a little before our time, but Howard Cosell got fired, I think, by CBS News because during a football game, even though he was the, uh, thought of really as the greatest sports broadcaster of a generation, he said there was a, a, a black, it happened to be a black football player, like uh, a running back or a, um, I think it was a running back, jumped over a guy. And he said something about like he's monkeying over him or something like that. And everyone started calling him racist. Now, this is well before our days of now everybody's a racist. And he got fired because of that. It turned out that that's what he called his grandchildren all the time, if I'm remembering the story correctly. He was always saying, mm-hmm. oh, you're monkeys, you're jumping all over each other, and blah, blah, blah. So this thing about a word, and that if we can get you on a word, we now know what your whole, it's because it's not only your political ethos, that we know what your whole humanity is. Man, that is, that is so dangerous. Everyone has mucked up a word every now and again. And that you know everyone's intentions all the time. I mean, this is one of the things that when, when uh, Sam Harris was first getting attacked relentlessly by the left, it was like they always would go after the way he, it would be a toe. He said that word that way, or he said this word, but you know, you, if you would have put a comma there. And it's like, man, you guys, you want to live in a world where we will all be afraid to speak. 
because we will all get to the point where, I mean, again, it gets back to where we started, but all the good people will check out. You will never want to have a political conversation with anyone. The, the, the areas for us to just be human, I know you've talked about this a little bit, to just be okay. It's why I can't watch SportsCenter anymore. So we're gonna get to, so oh, here's okay. the sports oh. story. So you ready for okay, the sports story? Here, here's the big sports yeah. story. So yesterday, Uh-oh. Nike released its new ad campaign, the 30 year anniversary of Just Do It. Its face, Colin Kaepernick, and its slogan, believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything, hashtag just do it. Ugh. So he's the new face. He hasn't played in the NFL for two years. Yeah. He, is, uh, he obviously is famous for, for kneeling for the flag, but apparently he sacrificed everything. He's, uh, he's going to get multi-millions of dollars in his own line of clothes. Uh, in, in the Nike brand. Right. This, of course, has created great consternation. So that's, that's the big story of the last 24 hours. I mean, does this just prove, and I think a few other people, I think, um, um, what's his name? Oh, man, I'm blank, and I'll get, I'll get it in a second. Um, that, that this social justice thing just ruins everything. Like, it really did ruin uh, ESPN. Yep. And that every time Clay you Travis turn on... Says this, yeah. yeah, oh, I'm sorry, Clay Travis, yeah. of course. That's, that's really how removed I am for yeah. a second. I can't remember friend's name. Um, that it just ruins everything. That, that you're handing out Sportsman of the Year awards to Caitlyn Jenner, and you're doing all of these things in the idea that you're being tolerant and good, and you're actually doing nothing that has anything to do with what your mission statement is. What is Nike's mission statement? It's to put shoes and, I guess, you know, sports shirts on people so they can be the best athletes they can be. And I'm not saying they should be completely apolitical. Like, they should... And again, they can do whatever they well, want. Well, it's a, a capitalist. Company, I mean, it's a capitalist move. And and if you look at the statistics, you but see why they're work? doing it. Does this, that, this does will that work. ever this will yeah. work? Because this, yeah. because this will drive. First of all, it's viral marketing. Mm-hmm. Second of all, Nielsen shows that the people who are most likely to engage in viral marketing on behalf of brands are actually black folks in the United States. Yeah, uh, they're forty-four percent more likely, I think, according to Nielsen. And black folks in the United States are also significantly more likely to be buying clothing as a, than than non-white folks in the United States, according to study from University of Chicago. By clothing? Uh, to, or, or to, yeah. to, like expensive clothing. Okay. Like to buy expen- for, uh, per, per income level. Per right. income level. Uh, and there's, there's an interesting something to talk about there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they've done studies on it. It's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, is that a legacy of, of one, one of the theories on that is that it's a legacy of if you can't afford to show how rich you are by buying an expensive car, instead you buy an expensive pair of shoes, and it's three hundred bucks as opposed to thirty-five thousand dollars, for example. Yeah. Um, but it's but there's there's a lot there, and obviously in terms of disproportionate sports watching, uh, young black men watch a lot more sports than people of other races. So it makes a fair bit of marketing sense. But the funny part is the left falling into the trap of now backing a massive na- international company, yeah. right? That is most famous for running sweatshops in Asia. And <laughs> so right. capitalism I mean, really, wins again, right? Literally. I mean, that's, that's basically the story. But it's, it's also obviously happening because Trump's president right now. This happened two years ago. If Hillary Clinton were president, they would not be doing this with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, it's so, it. it's so interesting. So last night, it was my last night, right? And I, I have, again... And I, now you're sad, right? I haven't watched We've almost sufficiently ruined your life. There are a couple but, more headlines. Uh, I, think, I think you have chance to ruin it a little bit. No, but this is what it's all about, right? This is why I got off the grid. This, like is, why, this is why I wanted to do this with you. But, but so the only thing that I did do, so it's not that I watch no TV, but I watch movies. So right. I would watch Netflix or whatever. So last night I watched um, Avengers Infinity War. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I thought the movie was spectacular, basically. I'm sure you've written a, probably, you've probably written a critique of it. I don't want to go too my, far my, into that. Yeah, but, my, my only critique of yeah. it was... We all know they're not dead, so like, right. what the F? That's exactly right. what I said to David at the end. It's like, no, Spider-Man didn't just die, but okay. They didn't okay. wipe off Black Panther, their $1 billion right. intellectual so, property investment. Completely right. 
But putting that aside, yeah. I thought it was a pretty great movie in the way they could link everything together. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah great. No, it's a well-done movie. the way I link this back to what we're talking about right now is, so Mark Ruffalo, who plays the Hulk in it, he's a huge lefty, progressive, whatever, and he's babbling on politics all the time and, and on Twitter and whatever. Now, I, I, you know I don't like attacking people, so I don't really want to make this about him. But... I think he's a pretty bad actor in general. Like I find him very irritating as the Hulk. I thought Edward Norton was a lot better in the in the previous <laughs> incarnation. But after being away from everything for a while, watching him, knowing that here's this guy that like really like politically I just think is just so annoying and gets all these retweets on like stupid stuff and just shares all these what I think are really bad ideas and whatever and of course he can do it. But like I was every scene that he was in, I was like, "Ugh." Like it actually kind of <laughs> yeah, like still I love for you. Yeah, yeah, like and and then David said something which was interesting. He was like, he's like, it's you know, actors. Of course, they could do whatever they want, but it's like if these guys would just shut up and you didn't know anything about them, then they'd be doing their craft properly. You know, like and I think there's probably like people that do that that really avoid. I mean, this was the studio theory for literally decades: yeah. was keep their personal life away from the papers and just the only thing you see on the screen is the person on the screen. Yeah, or some of them could be more famous for some, like like a Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Like there's like a there's like a separate. But even there, you see how his career like took hits and ups and downs because of Brad Pitt and, yeah. and Jennifer and Aniston it, and then the Jolie stuff, and now he's now with Jolie and all this kind of right, stuff. Right, but like these, oh, but but that's more about their relationships and whatever. Yeah. So that's one thing, but these overtly political people all the time, especially, you know, I haven't thought about any of these people in a long time, but a lot of the comedians that I used to like that have now gone off the deep end uh, politically, it's like, you guys have ruined what I thought of your comedy because of the way you act and behave all the time. Oh yeah, side note, Louis, and, K, Louis C.K. is back. Uh, no and shit. Get, and getting, uh, getting crap for it. Um, because, really? Wait, yeah. what do you mean back? Like, I mean, he performed at a, at a stand-up club. Okay, people, well, that, that would be the natural way to start. Yeah, How did exactly. it go? And, and people, uh, he, he got a standing O, but people on the left were very, very, very upset because he's not allowed to come back yet because he hasn't served his proper penance Wow. So, 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 what, so for a guy like you, so yeah. a conservative, I know obviously the actions that he did, I'm sure you find reprehensible and all that, but I know you do believe in forgiveness. I, and I, also, think there, I, I also think that there are levels of reprehensible. So I think that what he did is pretty reprehensible, but... What he did is not in the Harvey Weinstein category of reprehensible, mm-hmm. uh, from from what I can see, right? I mean, so, so would you argue then that a guy like Harvey Weinstein, there's no? I know he's probably not getting. He's an actual rapist, con- right? Yeah, so like, so, like the, the, he's an alleged actual rapist. Nobody's right. alleging actual rape against Louis C.K. Right? right. They're, they're arguing that he brought women into his room and then jacked off in front of them. Right. Uh, and then people. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You'll say him. jacked off, but you won't say fuck on camera. That's yeah. your that's your policy. Uh, I, I loosen virtually all my policies when I'm on your show. <laughs> It's your show, so I curse a little bit. Yeah, I'll okay. say shit on your show. I won't you'll do say, it on mine. You, you won't say fuck. You'll say shit. It's, it's anything, a policy. Right, exactly. It's, it's right, like the, I respect it's, it. It's, it's, it's like policy. network TV. Yeah, all right. So, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it's, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that in, if there's a market for him to come back, there's a market for him yeah. to come back. I mean, that's, that's my general feeling for this. And if people want to sue him, then they should sue him. And if people want to, like, this is how, this is why we have a system of torts. This is why we have a system. I mean, he apologized for it. Presumably these women, if they think that they can find evidence that they were actively denied jobs because of Lucy K, they could sue him. He's then go a lot for of money. it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but this idea that we're going to put people into kind of excommunication uh, until they come back. And then we, again, it's this variable excommunication, right? If you're, if you're Mel Gibson, it's a certain amount of time. And if right. you're Lucy K, it's a certain amount of time. If you're Lucy K, it's like eight months. And if you're Mel Gibson, it's like eight years. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you come back in daddy's home or something. <laughs> but, <is> it, <laughs> right, right, right. but it's, it, but I, I find Vile all of that. Vile anti-Semitic filth, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't see it. But, 
okay. But there's something interesting there because it's like, if you don't like Louis C.K., let's say you don't like him as a, if you don't like him as a comic, don't go to his shows. If you right. don't like him as a person, don't go to his shows. If you don't like what he did, don't go to his shows. Right. Don't watch any of it, don't appear, don't give him two drinks and the cover charge, all that. Just don't do it. But this is so fundamentally why I believe that live and let live is the only way to actually have a functioning society. That all you can do is defend our ability to be different. That's basically it. Because otherwise, because th- should the man never be allowed to work again? I mean, it, they, they say, a lot of people say yes, right? Yeah, a lot of people so say so, so should his wife be allowed to work? Should his children be, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, this, this is sort well, of like- The question is when does repentance actually take place? Because right. Bill Clinton is still held in wide esteem for doing a lot worse than, than Louis C.K. That's but, the, the crazy well, one. Well, so we'll get to that yeah, now. Oh, so oh. here's it, so there's, we have three <laughs> more headlines. So okay. Okay, so. Headline number one uh, is uh, Aretha Franklin died. Uh, so that was a... Oh, really? Yes, yeah, so that was a big story, and she had a huge funeral. Uh, it was a 10-hour funeral, I believe, something like that. It was, wow. it was really insane. Uh, and Th- They, they had, just got, like, every great singer to perform. Uh, yeah, they got or... a bunch of singers in there. Yeah. And uh, the, the kind of headline, the, the politically-oriented headlines, Al Sharpton got up and bashed Trump. And then there was a... And then Bill Clinton was sitting on stage next to, in order to his... It would have been to his right. So it was Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, Louis Farrakhan. Uh, oh shit! Yeah, sitting sitting next to all three of them. Uh, so that was one Clinton-related headline. The other Clinton-related headline was more humorous, which was Clinton, who is a dirty old man, and was a dirty old man when he was a dirty young man. Uh, Ariana Grande sang, and when she came up, uh, there's video of him legitimately checking her out, like having like up and down, full on smiling, giggling, like like really going after it. Right. Find, you, find you somebody who looks at you the way Bill Clinton looks at anybody who's not his wife. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, okay, that's, so let's let's pause on that one because we all yeah. know Bill Clinton likes women. Right, that's okay, just a joke. That's, okay, that's okay, the thing. Yeah, exactly. Pause on that. Let's go to the other one. Forget Jesse Jackson, obviously, and forget Al Sharpton. I, I've, whatever. Forget that. They're both both anti-Semites, but the lesser of I'm gonna, three anti-Semites there. You know, I think if Jews have learned one thing over the millennia, it's kind of like you got to pick the big anti-Semites <laughs> to deal with, whatever. But like, what? He was on stage two, two or three seats away from Louis from Farrakhan. Farrakhan. Yeah. After this is two, I mean, only was what only two or three months ago. Those insane tweets about Jews being the devil and all that. Yeah. Man. So he was. So he was there, and then that was juxtaposed with this. And who, the other. Wait, wait, wait. Was there any? So of course, conservative media called him out. That was, was there that any? It. Nobody else cared. So nothing. He probably didn't even make it on NBC Nightly News. Not, or, not as far as I know. It was. It was sort of just seen as part of the thing. You know, they're all at the funeral together. This is the bullshit that people can't take anymore. This double standard, epic nonsense that every time a Trump supporter does something, everyone on the right should apologize or whatever, and that this type of bullshit, the ex-president sits with what I would argue is the probably the. The foremost anti-Semite. I was, was yeah. going to say preeminent anti-Semite. Yeah, that's, right. that's that's probably too. Uh, no, that's right. I mean, that's right. But like, legitimately, like a, a disgusting human being who would by. by Choosing to group up any group of people in a specific way is the very definition of prejudice and racism and all that. This is what the left is supposed to be against. This is their whole thing. But that's what was going on. So that that was juxtaposed wow. with that happened on the same day as the other big story was that John McCain died. So that was, I'm sure, the one that you heard about. Okay, so this is the one that I didn't know this until about two days ago, and I was on the phone with my dad, and I said, I said, you know, we were talking about being off the grid, and I said, you know, and I have, I have, don't know anything, and he, it was as if he just like, I don't know what he happened. He stop himself. Yeah. He just, he, but he goes, but you know, John McCain died, and I was like. <laughs> so, they, but do you know about all the so, fallouts? Uh, no, so I know, n- okay. I know nothing other than he died. So first off, well, I don't even know when he died. Did so he, he just died die or? two weeks. 
a week and a half ago. Week and a half. He died a Saturday before last. Okay. So uh, I, I mean, came obviously, back from I, Sabbath. I came news. back from Sabbath, and, and that was the news. So, so he passed away. Uh, President Trump, obviously not a fan. Uh, and the first thing that, so Trump didn't issue any official statement for two days. Uh, and then he, the, the basic rule of thumb is that when a sitting senator dies, you lower the, the flags to half staff until the person is actually buried. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump did the statutory minimum. He lowered the flag for 24 hours and then he raised it back up again. All the other federal flags were lower, but you could see a picture over the White House of the flag back up at full staff. And then at the Washington Monument, which you can see behind it, you see all of them down at half staff. He then reversed himself, lowered the flag again, issued a statement. And then at McCain's funeral, uh, he was not invited because McCain didn't want him there, which can't really blame McCain for that. Uh, And then uh, at the funeral, George W. spoke, Obama spoke, Meghan McCain spoke. All three of them took shots at Trump. So Meghan McCain, wow. so Meghan McCain said, uh, we didn't need to make America great again. America was already great and kind of really went hard after Trump. Wow. Uh, and then uh, Obama got up and he said, uh, our country was about all these things. You know, we can, uh, the American creed and, we can, and we're all part of the same America and taking pretty obvious veiled shots at Trump. And then Bush did some of the same sort of stuff. Wow. Uh, so, that was, so that was yesterday uh, or something. Wow, so a couple right. things there. First off, on the flag thing, I mean, this is the type, look, you know, I think I've been pretty freaking fair on Trump and I get a ton of shit for it. I think you've been pretty fair on him. You get a ton of shit for it. This type of thing, like this flag thing, like, yeah, that's just, just like the nonsense. It's childish bullshit. That's just the yeah. childish nonsense that it's like, this should not be. It just should not be. This is, this is ridiculous. So let's just move past that one. That's it. First off, just quickly on Meghan McCain, you know, I got to tell you, I, I know Meghan a little bit. Yeah. Um, we've met a couple of times. And I, you know, there's a, there's a clip of her about, probably about six years ago, if not more at this point on real time. Did you ever see this? Where um, she says something, she's in, she gets in an argument, Paul Begala, uh, is he a Democratic strategist? Yes. Or a CN- yeah. yes. Uh, is on the other side, and they get into an argument, and she says, oh, you're just attacking me because I'm young and I don't know everything about World War II or something. He's like, I wasn't alive during the French Revolution, but I know about that. And it gets huge applause, and it's a great line, and it's like you can't use your right. excuse of, um, if, you're a, if you're a pundit or a then whatever, pundit, then, right. then be a pundit. You can't, the second the, you know, it gets hot in the kitchen, you can't be like, well, I'm young, I'm not supposed to be here. So, and so I was very unimpressed. That was the first time I probably ever saw her publicly, and I was very unimpressed with her. I've gotten to know her a little bit, and I've watched some clips on The View, and my mom keeps calling me and telling me that no, she's, she's up a, game a, a sane conservative. Yeah. And i got to tell you, I'm very impressed by her. She's Actually, a, she's, I'm very she and I, impressed She and I used to be very much at odds, and in the last, I'd say, year and a half, we've become yeah. you know, at least friends. And, yeah, I'm glad uh, to hear and, that. And that's because of this. I mean, I think that she's shifted. Yeah, you know, we've all shifted since we were young, but I think that she's, she's shifted, too. But so, wait, let me ask you something. So, uh, I assume that the day he died, that there was the endless like people dancing on his grave nonsense. So the, the, and there all was that. there was some of that, but mostly the left was praising him because he was the anti-Trump. The anti-Trump. Right. So it was, so after spending most of his life crapping all over him, right? The guy who was racist when he ran for president and incompetent and old and, and right, exactly. Then he was a great hero because he was anti-Trump, and so his entire life was defined by the fact that he and Trump didn't get along. So there was a lot of that. Uh, you know, my own take on this yeah. was that the the funeral. Well, I understand Meghan McCain's a grieving daughter. She gets to say whatever she wants. But that said, is it a sm- let's say that you actively want to undercut President Trump. Let's say that that's actually your goal. Your goal at this funeral is that, you, wanna, right. is that you, you don't like what Trump stands for and you want to undercut him. Almost the worst thing you can do is get George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Meghan McCain up there bashing Trump. No. And the reason for that is because 
they, there is this, what Trump is a response to is a sense that there are a bunch of elites who get together in back rooms and party with each other, and then they pretend to disagree with each other for the cameras. That's, but in that's reality, true. which is kind of true, right? right. But, but in reality, they're back slapping each other, and they're all best friends, and they're civil, and we all get along. And, and then we, who are kind of the commoners out here, who are like, wait a second, these issues actually matter to me. Why do I care about your golf club? I don't care about George H.W. being friends with Clinton. I want to know, like, who wins this political argument because yeah. it affects me, right? I don't care about, like, how you guys get along. And so it was this feeling like there was a video that was going around of George W. handing Michelle Obama a piece of candy. And it was like, well, this is what politics used to be. And I just kept thinking, no, it didn't. Yeah. I was, I'm old enough to that, remember when Barack Obama was labeling George W. Bush essentially a war criminal. Yeah. And so you're going to do this whole Trump is a dis- uh, departure from everything that politics has ever been. It just felt really disingenuous. Not because the criticism of Trump was was uncalled for, because I think some of it is called for, but because it was creating this image of politics that didn't exist and then contrasting Trump with this image of politics that's not actually real. So isn't that an an interesting example of why the 24-hour news cycle, or whatever you call Twitter now, or uh, 24-hour news cycle sounds crazy, Mm -hmm. we need something else. This hyperspeed insanity of why it really, it's, it's a threat to our ability to think clearly about things because the very people who you hated eight years ago, all these, not, now I'm not saying it was warranted. The hate. Yeah. I regret, I, I, will, I don't know that I've ever said this publicly, I regret not voting for McCain. I, yeah. In retrospect, <laughs> I, I, I think that we'd be in a very different place right now and I think he was, I think he was, the, he may be the last decent man that we had running for a president, at least for a long time. I think Romney was a decent guy, but yeah. Yeah, no, Ron, okay, so, uh, sorry, that might but, have been but, a little, a little but, bit of hyperbole, right, but, but, but if you remember, he always wanted to go high. He oh, no, made, he ran he a very high-level, I mean, he refused to go with the Jeremiah Wright stuff. He, yeah. he called off his campaign in the last month because of the economic collapse. Okay, so I'll, I'll so, modify that a little bit. A I'm not, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. without commenting on Romney specifically, like, I think by all, by all measures, McCain, for whatever his flaws may be, and maybe he was a little more of a neocon than, than I would care for, or whatever else it is, it's like, if you don't think he was a decent man who really loved his country, like, you're, you're actually crazy. And th- this goes to when you demonize people to the nth degree who don't deserve demonization, then you get the real demon. And I'm not even saying Trump yeah. is the real demon, but the way they flip history, so it's like you hated him forever, and you, you wanted to destroy this guy forever. Now he hates your new demon because you're always finding new demons. Right. So now we got a new good guy. And it's like, that's not, that's partly because we cannot remember history anymore because we're slammed with three day news stories that, you know, I said it's 24 hour news cycle, yeah. but it's really, it's, it's more of like a three day thing. We care for three days and yeah. then we expunge, you know? And I think that that now is becoming like the real threat right now. Okay, so final news story for you, and this All will be right. the one that, that really has ruined everybody's day, but and can ruin yours okay, now too. So welcome back. Great. So okay. there, there is a, so there's a big scandal. We don't and, have booze on the set anymore. I don't uh, yeah, think. so that's you yeah, pop open that, the bottle of wine there. But yeah, yeah. the uh, you're not going to want wine for this one. Uh, it's so basically there was a big scandal in Pennsylvania. There was a state attorney general report that suggested that over the course of 30 years, 1,000 children have been molested by Catholic priests and that these ki- and that these priests had then been shuttled around. And then following on that, there's a guy named Archbishop Vigano, uh, and uh, he was the papal nuncio, I believe, to the United States. And he came forward with an 11-page letter in which he accused essentially the entire Vatican hierarchy of being complicit in covering up child molestation, child rape, uh, and what he suggested was a growing, in his terms, homosexual subculture in the church, which he mean, by which he meant that there, was, there were particular cardinals who had been accused of actually seducing seminarians and all of this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Wait, let, let's just pause for one sec. Uh, I don't those mean, two I things don't, are I don't, not linked. Those yeah, two things okay, are not but linked. I don't mean to sound glib here, yes. but wh- how is this sort of new? So it's only new in that he is accusing Pope Francis of actively covering it up. Oh, okay. So okay. he's saying that there's a cardinal named McCarrick who was, who was 
complicit, who was apparently accused of child molestation or at least molestation of underage seminarians, basically. Uh, and this and this guy, Archbishop Vigano, said Pope Francis not only knew about it, he reinstated McCarrick. Then Benedict had basically put the guy in, in silence and prayer, and that Francis had brought the guy back and made him a public figure again, and had done so with multiple other similar figures. Uh, and because Francis, the accusation, is soft on homosexuality inside the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. that's his accusation, Vigano's. Uh, and then, by extension, soft on people who had then molested seminarians and also happened to be homosexual uh, or practicing homosexuality. So, so what, I... I, I Okay, so you want there is to there, there are a couple, so there are a couple there, yeah, things okay. that have been conflated here. So a couple yeah. of things have been conflated. One is uh, people are suggesting that um, the reason that this is all happening is because anti-gay feelings in the church are leading people to go after Francis or leading people to go after McCarrick, uh, and that's a weird argument because really what we should all be able to say is that a few things can be true. One, there's no statistical linkage between homosexuality and child molestation, yeah. obviously. Uh, two that a disproportionate number of the people who have been molested inside the Catholic Church have been young boys, uh, which is also true. It's four out of five. Uh, And three, that any pope who covers this crap up should be criminally liable, basically. And the media... Well, it's like Paterno. I mean... Exactly. And, and and, you know, this exists in pretty much every major institution, secular or religious. There's always an attempt to cover up sins inside that particular institution. This is true for every religious institution that I know about. Pretty uh, sure it's true for every institution. Yeah, every period, institution, right? public schools, like legitimately every institution. I think but, the DNC tried to cover up the whole, uh, you know, trying to take out Bernie thing. That was trying to be a cover but, up. Right? <laughs> so the uh, so the but the, the part of this story, the twist to the story, the, okay. the part that's new is not only that. So Francis has stayed silent. He's refused to respond to any of the allegations. Uh, it's the allegations have been backed by a bunch of other testimony. Bishops are basically going to war with one another for the first time in 500 years. Like they're openly criticizing each other. Wow. And the and I think the the most shocking thing is that the media are running full scale editorials attacking the quote unquote ultra conservative wing within the Catholic Church for going after Francis. So the same media that back in 2003 was going after John Paul II. Yeah. And saying and Benedict and saying these guys are responsible for all of this and they should now they're defending Francis specifically because they think that this is a conservative attempt to oust Francis because Francis is a liberal pope. So, so okay, so basically the media is trying to he's because he's a little more pro gay, so to speak, whatever the hell and that means. Pro environmentalist and right. He, and he's more of a lefty generally speaking. Right. And all this stuff, yeah. So the media oddly is trying to protect him. Man, I mean, this again, it goes to it's this wild. thing of like, we, our enemies will be our friends the second we need them, and then we'll throw them out. And Well, I mean, this just sounds awful and it's gross. Terrible. And, it's terrible. Uh, it's, it's awful. Yeah, I mean. But it's like a 500-year schism. It could cause a 500-year schism in the church, like the worst schism in the church since maybe the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. Because there's like an entire wing of the church, because you can't impeach the pope. Yeah. There's an entire wing of the church going, the Vatican hierarchy covered this stuff up because they cover this stuff up, and now yeah. he's being defended by a bunch of people who aren't real fond of Catholics in general, yeah. but somehow have now found enthusiasm for Pope Francis. If you were, if you were Catholic, and, and you were a real believer, but obviously didn't yeah. stand for any of this, of course, yeah. but let's just say you're the average Catholic out there who's a good, decent person, you happen to be a believer, I would assume the way you believe in Judaism. Yeah, like the, that's okay, right. so let's say let's say you're that. Now Judaism, I know, doesn't have a structure like that. That's yeah, all my coming. feeling is any rabbi but, who's but responsible for- But what would you for, do? I mean, 
I don't it's know how, different. I, I'll say in the Jewish community because I don't know how Catholic doctrine works because yeah. we don't have papal infallibility in Judaism. Yeah. Any rabbi who's complicit in the cover-up of child molestation should immediately go to jail. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, the, the, I have no tolerance for this kind of bullshit. And the, and the fact that this has not only been tolerated but forwarded by certain members of the press is an astonishing thing. I mean, this is the same people who are giving spotlight an Oscar right. like, fi- like right, five right, years right. ago, right? right? Because it was so important to uncover all this stuff happening within the church. And now it's... No, got hands off. I mean, France is a really important figure, and the fact that all these people are attacking him, we can't take it seriously for political reasons. We have to we have to suggest that it's just a hit job against Francis. Do you think there's like sort of like this is just another extension of as we've over the last couple of years just watched all of these institutions crumble? Like we've watched mainstream yeah. media crumble. We're watching our political institutions. I, I don't know if they're quite crumbling, but they're. They're teetering, shifting, teetering. they're teetering certainly, but shifting in nature and also like the legislative branch is basically becoming a useless nothingness as we're, as we're, mm-hmm. right, as we're, as we're handing everything over to the king. Uh, another good reason to be for small government, either a classical liberal or a libertarian, et cetera. Um, but that, that this with the church, without, without making it too specifically about these specific things, that it's just another one of these things that these giant institutions that used to be able to control narrative, control gatekeeping and all of that, they actually cannot withstand things anymore. Sort of, I mean, this is where I've been sort of critical of the internet and the way we're all behaving on there, but like truth does find a way. Mm -hmm. So then we watch these institutions try to attack the people because the people have a better essence of what the truth is than the institutions. Am I getting something there? That's exactly right. And, and, And the fact that, it's the most shocking performance by the press that I've seen, including anything with regard to Trump. To shift, wow. on, to shift on a dime and start going, well, you know, let's not check out these allegations of child molestation because we really like this pope. It's like, whoa, that's, that's, that's pretty amazing stuff. And I'm, talking not, I'm not talking about the editorial boards. I'm talking about objective news coverage, objective news coverage. Yeah. There, was a, there was a headline in the New York Times that said, Pope Francis takes high road as conservatives pounce Man. over allegations of covering up sexual abuse of seminarians and, and minors. It's, it's, it's totally wild. I mean, I think we, this is just part and parcel with what we've watched sort of happen to the New York Times over the last couple of years. I mean, you know, I've said this many times, but I, I'm pretty sure the New York Times didn't cover Brett Weinstein at Evergreen once in the pages of the paper, but it did three or four editorials about it. You know, they, they constantly do this type of thing where it's like they're editorializing their entire coverage, often by what they're not covering. And we've, so to watch this, what was an important institution, I think, for a long time, kind of crumble like that. And I, this gets us back to, that was story 20, this gets us back to story one, where now you're gonna bring in people to actually, insti- this is where, when people say, Dave, you attack the left too much, you don't attack the right, it's like, the, the right, this isn't about institutional power anymore. At some, at some level, Trump's the president, I get it. But like the left has all this media power and all everything else, and you're willingly bringing in people that truly are racist, or if, if Without calling these people specifically racist, have have terrible ideas, and you're saying this is this is part of what mainstream should be. So you're mainstreaming what what are really radical ideas. All right, shit. So, that, yes, yeah, I, got, I got you. I got you there at the end. So now Dave's back. There it is. Okay, so submit your questions for me and for Dave on Patreon and super chat right now. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with those questions. Oh man. The Rubin Report is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. No matter what you do in the bathroom to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. They have amazing shower stuff, hair styling products, toothbrushes and toothpaste, and of course, razors and shave supplies. I love using my Dollar Shave Club six-blade executive razor to clean up my beard every couple of days, but my morning routine wouldn't be complete without their Dr. Carver's softening beard oil. 
This special formula softens my facial hair for easier maintenance without being too oily and makes combing my mane a breeze. In case you've ever wondered what I smell like, the oil is lightly scented with hints of black pepper and lavender, which keep me smelling great all day. Best of all, the oil works with facial hair of all lengths from light stubble to a burly beard. No matter what style I'm feeling, Dollar Shave Club has my back. That's how I get ready, but you're not me. You have your own way of getting ready. You might shave your whole body to get ready for a bike race. Dollar Shave Club's executive razor and shave butter can help. You might get your hair ready for your soccer match or a hot date. Boogies by DSC can help you get your style right. The thing is, no matter what you do to get ready, DSC has everything you need. And right now you can get ready with an amazing deal on any of their starter sets. I recommend the Daily Essential Starter Set because I love the Amber Lavender Body Cleanser, but you can't go wrong with any of them. Head over to dollarshaveclub.com slash Ruben to pick up your own DSC starter set for just five bucks. After your starter set, products ship at regular price. And make sure to check out their new video too. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Ruben. DollarShaveClub.com slash Ruben. Well, we're back at the Ben Shapiro Report. No, sorry, it's the Dave Rubin <laughs> Report, but I'm hosting today because Dave is just back. And if you missed it earlier, we went through all of the news. So Dave is markedly more depressed than he was an hour and a half ago, which makes me happy since I'm a sadist. So let's you run go a tight ship, by the way. When I do the breaks in between the interview and the live show, it ends up being like, I always say we'll be back in 30 seconds. It's like seven minutes. You were like... <laughs> Well, come on. I mean, we got to make money. You so talk fast and you move that's fast. That's exactly right. right. So we've we got go. Patreon questions and Super Chat questions. Yeah. So let's start with a Patreon question. Dave, do you think there is any turning back from the politicization of literally everything fun, or is this the new norm now? I think for now it is the new norm, and I think that we have to get through this, and I think we can get through it. I'm telling you, as I said to you an hour ago, I spent the last month talking to real people all over the place. I would literally, on the street, like if I just saw, like if I was just standing there, I just talked, I was just talking to people. I really felt like I could be a little more connected to people. People don't want everything to be politicized all the time. They don't want, why do you watch sports? It's not for politics. Why do you watch the Avengers? It's not for politics. Why any, most of the things you do, it's not for politics. And the fact that they've let this creep into everything, to it's, it's just, another and when i say they it's like there's this amorphous and the thing media, I'm not, and the sports media particularly yeah and i don't know that it's it's a you know a fully i think there is some level of coordination in different ways but like i'm not saying there's like a group of four, five guys sitting in a room like how do we divide america and destroy everything maybe there is i don't know but like <laughs> but this endless thing where we just are going to hate each other all the time and this is why i've Very said tiring. it before but like this is why i truly truly believe i believe it now more than ever identity politics is the biggest threat that a free society has, and particularly our free society, because we've done the melting pot better than anybody. We did a melting pot. We did it right. We blended this thing right. Everyone still wants to come here for a better life. All these celebrities that always tweet they're gonna leave, nobody ever leaves. And the same people who will tell you what a racist, evil, patriarchal, homophobic, transphobic society America is, they're the same people who want open borders because they want apparently everyone to come in and share in the horrors. So I think it's truly, it is a threat, but yes, I think we will get past it. And the reason I'm hopeful is because when we look at all of the, the mainstream media that's peddling this stuff crumbling, and we look at the amount of people that are listening to long form conversations and getting what their ideas are. I mean, when I go to these Peterson things and people come up to me and say, you know, I, I started watching your show and then I saw Shapiro on there and Harris and Peterson and blah, 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 and I started thinking about things differently and then I bought Peterson's book and you know what, I, I stopped smoking weed or yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm not even saying smoking weed is bad. No, I know we have a difference in opinion. People change their lives based on this stuff. Yeah. For sure. And and I so I really believe that while you can't see it, if you just look at that online tier, that in reality, I think there is something incredibly good happening. I okay. Really so here's that. a super chat question yeah. for you. Uh, let's see. Um, it says, "Love the, this one's interesting. Love the two of you. You both converted a socialist into a libertarian conservative. Awful, awful right. question. Shapiro, will you bake Ruben a wedding cake? <laughs> okay, so, I mean, my answer is... Well, I'm married already. Right, he's, but, mar- but, he's married would, already. But, but an anniversary. It was my anniversary last week. An anniversary cake would have been nice. Right, so, I, so the answer is no. And the okay. reason I won't is because as a religious Jew, I, yeah. I do not participate in activities that I believe are sinful. But again, we live in a free country, and Dave knows this. He doesn't have to care what I think yeah. about sin. And, and as long as I'm not bothering Dave, I don't see why it's a problem. Yeah. So it's a, will I... Will I does Dave have a husband? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, okay. And yeah. are we friends? Yeah. And are we going to go out to dinner sometime in the near future? Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, but there's a difference between me just being friends with Dave and me actively participating in an event that I feel is religiously sinful. And I think this is how most religious Christians and most religious Jews feel. And while that's awkward, yeah. we're still friends in spite of it, which is why we're friends. If well, we couldn't be friends I, in spite of it, then right. it would be a bad thing. Well, look, when I when I did your interview show, which, by the way, I mean, yeah, you jacked the idea of an interview show from me. It's all right. That's but, true. But uh, nobody had done it before <laughs> me. Um, but what, what you said that to me, and, and I truly mean this. Like, if you think what I'm doing is sinful, like, I... I don't, it sounds glib, but I don't care. I, right, I and then this is my view, is you don't have to care, you, right? right? It's a free country. Like. Right, like, that's the thing, and it's like, look, look, there's, of course someone's going to go, well, wait a minute, if you really think his marriage is sinful or something, of course there may be a place that in the nature of our friendship, maybe that we can't quite get to, that I would be able to get to with someone that didn't think For that. sure. That is very possible, and, and, it, and it goes both ways, right? Like, I then look at you, and I go, well, well, why? Right, like that's a kid. You don't want me teaching your kid about the nature of family, perhaps, right? I mean, like, like possibly, but I, but you're probably a pretty good dad, like, you know what I mean? Like, we, but why is it that we're able to do this and most people can't do this? Because that's what I'm curious. We go about. home at night and we can have our own lives. I mean, that's that's real, and and I think part of friendship, by the way, is that like we go home at night and we just have our own lives. Yeah, like, I'm not married to you, right? Yeah. I mean, like that's <laughs> like my wife and I have to agree on these issues. You and I don't have to agree on these issues in order yeah. for us to share a common space together, and that's yeah. really the important. Do you thing think your me. wife and you have to agree on these on all of these issues, or, uh, you, or just he, the, the the sort of um, the ones more foundational have, ones? The foundational ones, but yeah. I do think that you know how you raise your kids religiously and and with regard to things like sexual morality does actually have to be at the root of, of how you teach your kids. Yeah. So if, if, you have deep, if you have deep divisions with your spouse on these issues, I think that, and, and you're looking to build a family anyway, yeah. then I think that these are issues where building on a bad foundation is, is a bad move. So let me, okay, so if you wouldn't bake me a cake, that's okay, mm-hmm. and yeah. now, because it's 50-50, I can't bake you a cake, which David's well, I'm, incredible. I'm not sure. Chef, I mean, and he would have done it kosher not, the whole wow. thing, man. Well, yeah, now you know, I feel bad. He I mean, would have done it for you. You got but me this close. Putting that aside, you can't have yeah. David's kosher cake now. Um, if we were having an anniversary party, would you come? If I was inviting all the crew that we all know, and we were just an anniversary party, we're just having a party, and uh, and I'll even throw in some kosher food for you to make sure you don't have to bring your own food. You know, honestly, I'd have to think about it. I'd have to think about it in the same See, way. So that's interesting to me, because yeah, that's, that's a different thing. Well, it, not really, because again, it's, if you're a religious person, and yeah. again, take it from the religious perspective, the, from the religious perspective, the question is, are you glorifying something that you think is sinful? Yeah. So if it's a party for something that you think was originally sinful, can you participate in that? So from a religious point of view, that's an actual serious moral question. Yeah. Would I go out to dinner with you? The answer is yes, right? Because that's not actually like, let's celebrate something that I feel that you're doing is sinful. 
But I'd have to I'd have to think about that one. I'm, and I'm being a perfectly honest, like no, I'm I, be as I, straightforward as possible. On I this want stuff you to. So it's see that's so interesting to me because it's like if I threw a regular party, just we were just right. having that party at my house, and all the guys. But that's right. For a gay wedding cake, also, right? Like I bake you a cake that had nothing to do with a gay wedding. Right. And I would go to a party with you that has nothing to do with gay marriage. Could, would you bake me a regular cake? Could I just have a Thursday yeah, cake? Yeah, sure, I'd give you a cake. You, you, well, you well, why the hell not? I mean, yeah. my, my baking sucks. I'll just buy you one. I want a shittily baked Shapiro cake, and then I'm gonna write. Then once I get it here, I can do whatever I want with it. Piece of crap. I mean, it's not gonna be good, but it's but. It'll be there. Yeah. All right, let's see. Ah, there's um, a lot there. We're, you know what? But this is what we'll keep talking about forever, and it's all right. Exactly. All right, let's see. Um, so, Ben, huge fan. Why do Asians overwhelmingly support the left in spite of their cultural values, and how do we change this? Also, how are you explaining to your kids why it's wrong to lie? Are you using religion or reason? Uh, so, the uh, on the first question, uh, why do Asians overwhelmingly support the left? I think that there is a misperception that is bolstered by Republican inability to talk about issues of race, yeah. which is that you have to overcome the, the basic presumption that Republicans are evil racists. And once you get over that presumption, then people tend to vote more conservative. But right. Then Asians think, might vote for their own economic interests. Right. Uh, and, and for their In own you know, college education interests. I mean, it's the left that's trying to ban Asians from higher education at places like Harvard. But the right has a reputation as being racist, and it is not forwarded by intemperate remarks from the President of the United States on these sorts of issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and the right also, you know, should be willing to... I, I think that there's this weird conversation about race that goes something like this. People on the left say, there's been historic racism in American society. And people on the right read that as, what you're saying is, there's historic racism in American society, and that means you want affirmative action. Right. And so people on the right go, I don't even want to talk about that. And people on the left say, well, you don't want to talk about that because you're a racist. Mm -hmm. Because what they read the right saying is, I don't want to talk about it at all because you're a racist. When the conversation really should go like this, the left says, there's historic racism in American society. And go, right. And then the, and the left says, and now I want affirmative action. You say, nope. And then you yeah. have a conversation about the actual policy. Right. But we conflate the questions because we're all reading each other's minds, and that's a dangerous game. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that people say to me all the time when I, when I do public speaking events and the, uh, talk to people after, they'll always say, you know, I was, I, the huge amount of people say to me, I was a lefty. I was just like you. I, I then evolved sort of the way you did, and I can't tell you the amount of friends that I have that now think I'm a racist because I believe in low taxes or blah, blah, blah. And it's like the way they've been able to conflate policy with racism is crazy because they think that the average lefty out there, and I'm just doing something broad for the purposes of a conversation, thinks that if you say low taxes, you mean you don't want to give money to poor people. Now, that is actually true, but that doesn't mean it's racist. You think that there are better ways to help poor people than just taking money from some and giving it to others. So they've really, there's an incredible trick that they've pulled there that, these are not racist. The amount of conservative and libertarian uh, college things that I go to and all these things, and I never meet racists, or I'm meeting some pretty damn shady racists because I can't figure out they're racist, <laughs> and they keep, they keep inviting me, so. All right, let's see. Um, uh, on that second question, how am I explaining to my kids why it's wrong to lie, religion, or reason? I mean, the answer typically is both, right? You say that God doesn't want you to lie because you are, and, and ba why doesn't God want you to lie is the reasonable question. And the answer is God doesn't want you to lie because it is a, is a fundamental disrespect of another person as made in God's image. I think that virtually all of Western civilization is built on one verse in the Bible, that human beings are made in God's image. And from there springs an enormous amount of good. Uh, there are things in religion that have brought about an enormous amount of bad, but that is one aspect of religion that I don't think you can get to simply through scientific materialism, but this is a Sam Harris right, right, this, debate that we've had right, a thousand times. This is, this is the Sam point. U, Sam Jordan one. It's exactly. like, that's what it all whittles down to that. Can science and reason and your own consciousness get you there at a, at a human scale? Speaking of which, here's a Patreon question for you. Yeah. It says, Dave, did you find out what the, what the dark enlightenment is? 
the oh, you know, someone asked me about the dark enlightenment once on a Patreon feed, and I, I think maybe somebody sent me some info. I honestly, I think don't I think basically the idea of the dark enlightenment for for those who are sort of unaware is that what what you know. Um, Pinker will do is he'll basically say all the good stuff that I like from the Enlightenment is the Enlightenment and everything else is the counter Enlightenment. Oh, I see, I see. And Dark Enlightenment is basically well, no, Rousseau was part of the Enlightenment too. He just happened to suck. And so that's and so trying to look at the downsides and the upsides of the Enlightenment is actually a worthwhile. So this goal. is sort of like I remember right before I left, um, there were a couple people like really attacking the Enlightenment as this racist movement. So this right. is sort of that. Well, like, some, to... some of that, but also like the, there's a there's a perspective on the Enlightenment that basically says that the Enlightenment's move toward individual values and away from uh, was was simultaneously a move away from virtue. So if you look at sort of more ancient philosophy, ancient philosophy says that your goal as a human being is to act in accordance with natural law, mm-hmm. right? Natural law being the things that, uh, that that reason dictates. Essentially, this is sort of the Aristotelian yeah. natural law argument. Uh, and then in the in the sort of modern period, people say, well, but everybody has a different idea of what's good for them. So this is a libertarian idea. And so what we need is limited institutions so that people can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of the dark enlightenment basically is that if you take that libertarian ideal to its extreme, where there is no social fabric that combines us anymore, then you either end up with sort of this atomism where everybody is on their own. There's no shared sense of, of belonging and no, mm-hmm. no shared sense of values. And on the other hand, if you believe that reason rules everything, but that individual human beings don't mean anything, then Marx is a part of this Enlightenment ideal to where reason is the head, and we, all we have to do is reorganize society along the lines that we see fit, and we can create a better man. And that's right. sort of the, so, I mean, the other side of the Enlightenment. Right, I got it. So, so you know that I obviously, I mostly believe in that libertarian idea. No, you're but you're a sort mill guy. Right, so I believe in it within the prism of, I think that's how human flourishing and human freedom will expand the most. Not, I, I believe you have to be left basically to your own ideas, but I don't want to live in Mad Max at the same time. And I understand right. this is where, this is this a This is great- the Patrick Deneen critique, right? Patrick Deneen has a book called Why Liberalism Failed, and his basic critique is that we erred too much on the side of liberty without enough focus on the social fabric. That if you don't focus on the social fabric, you don't focus on virtue, you only focus on rights, well, you end up with a bunch of people who are non-virtuous who think everything is their right. You know, it's funny, I mean, you know my thoughts on most of these political issues, and we just spent the last hour and a half talking a lot about virtue and a lot about the social fabric. So whatever that is, that's where where I'm at. (laughs) Okay, here's a Patreon question. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Hmm. Okay, what, if any, success could President Trump have where the media would give him credit? without a backhand dilution or anything else. Do you think there's anything Trump could do where the media would give him credit? Not really. I mean, they've painted it, look, they've painted him as Hitler. I mean, I, the first video that I did the day after the election, sitting in my backyard, I said, you know, the risk here is that, and I was even saying this before the election, if you keep calling someone Hitler, you can never acknowledge when anything is good and that that will keep pushing you further one way and potentially pushing the other person the other way or at least the supporters that way. You, because you can't be like, oh, well, the economy's doing well, good for Hitler. You know what I mean? Like it just, you <laughs> In can't, fact, everything that you do that's good is actually worse for you. Is right? actually it's, evil. Yeah. And this is also where you get this sort of a, a guy who I, you know, I agreed with for most of my life, who I now have some disagreements with, but I had nothing but respect for, Bill Maher, you know, a couple months ago when he was talking, you know, because he has real Trump derangement syndrome, and he was saying this thing about how if, we, if the economy has to fail to get rid of this guy, that's what we need. And it's like, yeah, that's easy to say when you probably have a hundred million bucks. And I'm not, I love Bill Maher and I hope he'll sit in this seat one day and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be there and you, you know. And you, I can leave, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but you, but you were on a show not yeah. too long ago. And, and it was the same and, thing, and, it was the same thing. But 
But I don't want to be in a position where you root for the failure of the country because you want the failure of this one man. If he, if he failed, you know, Sam did a piece right after the election. As much as Sam hates uh, Trump, he said, look, now he's the pilot of the plane. So if you want the plane to crash, well, you're on it. So that, that, that ain't great, right? So I would say there's probably nothing that they would really ever give him credit for. But I think at the same time, what they create is most people in this country, two years into a Trump presidency, if you remove tw- the, the tweets and the, co- like, if you remove just, like, the generic sort of screaming thing all the time, yep. well, what actually is happening? The economy's still pretty good. Like, we're not, does anyone think Trump's going to start nation building? I actually think some of our alliances are stronger, even everyone else says they're weaker. I think some of the trade stuff actually could start working our, in our advantage. I don't, I don't know exactly, but I, I don't think there's anything that they could really, you can't. I mean, I think you probably mostly agree with no, that. No, I definitely agree with that. Okay, so I want, I want to ask you this one because I think this is a good question. This is from your uh, Super Chat. Yeah. So talk about the art in the studio. What's the new art? Like, what's, oh, what's the I'm deal? glad that came up. From? So uh, a spectacular artist, her name is right there, uh, Kaylin Rose Janet uh, painted this painting that's behind you. And then the painting that's behind me is sort of inspired from that. And one of the things that she did, she knows how much I love coffee. So uh, you can see sort of the texture, oh, yeah. the texture right behind her. That's actual coffee grinds Whoa. that are in there. Um, I think her website is Kaylin Rose, C-A-Y-L-I-N, RoseJanet.com. Nice. And she's done, like, there's tons of artwork in my house that, that she's done. We have this huge Millennium Falcon So you're, you're a coffee guru. You, what, what, what coffee do you like? What's your coffee? Do you have a coffee machine? Well, I, like, oh, this? Well, I, have, uh, I do a French press. Okay, um, yeah. And I grind it in the morning. Of and, course you And do. the whole thing. Yeah, what, what do you do? I have like an espresso oh, God, machine or something. Yeah, I mean, I have an espresso, but that's, that's really for the guests. I don't find espresso. That, I, could, I could see you drinking Keurig. Because you, won't, you no, wouldn't, because you're the person, you wouldn't put the effort into that. That's like, right. I, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't drink coffee until like a month ago. Oh, and then I, really? and then I, wait, you've been talking this fast for all these years right, without, yeah. oh, Jesus and then, and then I was getting no sleep one week, and I had coffee, and my show was markedly yeah. better. And I was like, okay, well, then I guess I have to addict myself to cocaine. I mean, that's yeah. the only way this is possibly going to continue <laughs> Listen, to I, work. even though you won't make me a cake, I will brew you a cup of well, coffee. Well, I appreciate it. Thank yes. you. Thank you. I mean, that's all I'm asking from you. And, you know, and also leave me alone if I don't want to make you I like to turn the, the two other cheek, that, you know? <laughs> By the way, a quick, quick note on that. I would also mention that like, in Judaism, it's not just like gay marriage that's off limits. It's intermarriage that's off limits. So if a member of my family were to intermarry, like yeah. marry somebody who's not Jewish, I wouldn't go to the wedding. Really? Uh, so, yeah. Uh, this is like a, it's, even, so even if that, let's say it was your sister, for mm-hmm. example, um, even though I know she just got married and I met the guy and he's that's a nice true. guy. Nice guy, um, yeah. Even if that would do irreparable damage with your sister, well, you, in 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 you know my view, the, the irreparable the, damage is being done by the fact that like if you're brought up in a certain with a certain sense of values and rules, and then you abandon those values and rules, then uh, you know that's that's an irreparable. It's, it's so an, interesting. It's I, I really intellectually, I really can understand that, and I think that we we are living in a society that's because of the loss of what clarity is. We're, we that's part of why the fraying is happening. But it's like when we went out to dinner at that, uh, that IDW night, yeah. and we were at that steakhouse, and we all had these, Joe got this like, you know, giant tomahawk that was for two people. He ate it himself, of yeah. course. <laughs> and Jordan had like the biggest steak I've ever seen, and uh, Eric and I split this porterhouse, and it was so freaking delicious, and you brought your dinner, right. because you're kosher, so you're obviously not gonna eat there, and you wouldn't even eat on their plates and all that. And I, I respect you making that decision for yourself. I, I, tru- that, I truly do, I truly do, and I have family members who are kosher. And as a religious person, yeah. there is a there is a constant conflict between your role as a religious person and what you may feel in your heart, right? So the fact is that I wear a kippah everywhere. Yeah, there, there are certain rules about like when I'm supposed to wear a yarmulke. Like if if I walk into a place 
and I'm not obviously carrying my own lunch, yeah. it's actually a problem. Like Because people might think the restaurant yeah. is kosher, for example, now, and then they're going to eat there because they saw this famous Orthodox <laughs> Jew walking into a non-kosher restaurant. Yeah. So that, that's something that you have to take into account, is that how much are you conveying that your religion approves of a particular activity when you actually engage in the particular activity? And that that applies to a wide variety of, of things. It's so interesting to me, though, because when I came home that night, I swear, you, you can ask David after, I was like, I was sitting there and I was like, and Ben brought, I think he brought a burger yeah, or something. Yeah, I did bring it, yeah, brought a burger, And yeah. you're eating your burger, and I'm, I know how delicious this steak is. And it's like, I really was like, why would Ben deny himself just this truly, truly- Oh, it smelled delicious, yeah. Delicious thing, but, but you do, and that, it doesn't, because it's part of a holistic lifestyle yeah. in which yeah. you make choices about what you want to participate in and what you don't. But that doesn't change even necessarily how you feel about the people who are engaged in particular activities. It's just saying, like, I, as a religious person, cannot stamp with imprimatur like, yeah. that this is okay with me as a religious person. But that doesn't mean that I care about you any less, for example, or I would care about my sister any less right. if she did something that I didn't like. Just in terms of importance, uh, I'm going to move the steak away. I'm not going to force you to eat a steak. I still, I think I'll be able to get you to smoke a joint at some point. And I definitely am going to be able to get you say fuck on camera. That's the order. Okay, I'm the, move, the, the, I'll the let last, you have, you want uh, your kosher so, steak. So as okay, you know, the, the last one is actually not that far a leap. If if I, if I had a blue version of my show, no, I know we, it would be unbelievable. I, I have blue some version I, of my show would be unreal. Well, Shapiro, perhaps some of the people we've been talking to have some ideas for some new shows, and maybe <laughs> there's something already blue in Shapiro the works. Would be pretty wild. Yeah. So right. I have to, okay. So a couple more here. Yeah. Let's see. Um, okay. This is. This is a good one. Yeah. Uh, super chat question. Um, sorry, I want to find all the best ones here. No, no, uh, go for it. We're doing it live. I mean, yeah, there's no, exactly. There's no so I'm, I'm trying to read these. Uh, that, okay, so the ancient Greek proverb, if you go to war, you better finish it or you'll leave it to your grandchildren, which I don't think is actually from the ancient Greek. Yeah. <laughs> you think we didn't finish the war uh, of ideas against Marxism in the Cold War, and that is why we have a rise of Marxism on college campuses today. I'll let you feel it first. Okay, I, so, I, I think that my basic answer would be, Yes, we sort of let this stuff fester as if it was the cool stuff, but I don't know what the completion of a war of ideas is. Like, you right. stamp things out to the point that no one can speak of them, that's not what we want. So, so it's almost an unanswerable question. So at a I, think, I think Jonah Goldberg's answer on this is basically correct, which is that there's a human tendency to buck against freedom. And that human tendency is, why can't we control the world around us? Why can't we get together and solve all of our problems? Why is it that free markets are counterintuitive? The idea that if you leave everybody alone, your life is gonna be better, is really right, counterintuitive. That, yeah. Usually the idea is if I can control everybody around me, then my life will be better because I can get them to do all the things I want them to do. I don't want to so, control anybody. Right, but I want my little piece of the pie and I'm going to do good work here. And, and But that's a, but that's a, that's a cultivated idea. Yes. Most as a child, right? Like when I look at my children, my children want to control everything <laughs> around them, right, including me. Yeah. And when if you believe that if we all get together, we can build this giant edifice together. Why can't you just get on board? Just get on board. Then Marxism has a certain kind of particular draw, especially when you look at the fact that there are rich people, there are poor people. When you say to people, well, right, there are going to be some rich people and some poor people, but overall we're getting richer. That is more counterintuitive can, than why can't I just steal that guy's money, put it in my pocket, and I'm better off. Yeah. And so I don't think that Marxism can ever be fully stamped out. That said, I think the conservative movement has failed markedly to make good arguments against Marxism, and they've basically made arguments on the basis of efficacy rather than morality. They've said basically Marxism, it's a moral idea. <clears throat> it just is bad in administration. And I think Marxism is a deeply immoral idea that's also terrible in administration. Yeah. So do you think that's also why guys like, like me and you get so much hate? 
because someone like me, I'm, I was once something, I had a certain set of ideas, I've shown you can escape and survive, and now there clearly is a massive movement behind that. I mean, I know it, I know it is real, the amount of young people that are waking up and are going, this thing that they're gonna jam down your throat in college and in high school is not good, it is not real, it is not true, and there aren't many examples of people escaping. There was David Horowitz, you know, 30, right. 30 years ago or whatever, but there's not very modern examples, so that's why, for the, for the, it's not like I put out a lot of hate, but I seem to get a lot of yeah. online hate, and I think that's the reason, and I think partly for you, it's, it's similar to a different degree. You get it because you're willing to talk to people like me and Sam mm-hmm. and whoever else, so they're going, the, the real hardcore people that hate all that stuff don't want you to do it, even though they love you, but they don't want you to do it because they think that might give a little Your oxygen credibility, to that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay, so somebody yeah. wants you to do a Trump impersonation for the memes, very important. Oh, um, what does he do? I, I, it's, I'm so, he does what he does, the people. I don't even know what he does anymore. You're fired. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. Oh, you gotta work on that stuff. Yeah, do you do any, do you do any good impersonations? Do you do any good impressions? Uh, not, I, you know what? I'll come back with some decent. I used to do a great Cosby impression, but then he became the greatest serial. Well, now, you could, now you could do. You see, I'm making the chocolate cake for the children, and we <laughs> went to the dentist. And, uh, okay, but, close enough. Yeah. Close enough. There's, there's only so much we can do here. Uh, it says, Let me put the roofie in the drink. <laughs> Oh, I knew this was going to go south so yeah. fast. Yeah. Hi, Ben and Dave. Can you define what rights are? I think there's a disconnect between the left and the right on what rights are. Well, I believe you are, you are born free. You have the right to, and in this country, you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then the Bill of Rights lays out what your other rights are. The government has to protect those rights. It did not give you those rights. And I think that's the most important thing. The government did not give me my freedom. The government can take away my freedom, but it did not give it to me. So we have rights that are very clearly laid out. And again, this is why I don't want big government. Big government in every way will trample on those rights. We have a beautiful system of rights. Free speech, the right to bear arms, the right to privacy, all of those things. These are incredibly powerful things, but it's not because the the government gave those rights to us. It's protecting what I think, so I know this is where conservatives usually would say these are God-given rights. I think you can just say they're they're innately human rights that you, you are, as a human being, it is your birthright, you are born free. Can someone grab you right out of the uh, out of the womb and put you in jail? Yes, but you were born free. I, I think that's how I view so, it. So the basic Lockean argument for, for the philosophers in the room is that basically you are born with particular rights and these rights adhere to you by virtue of you not having to get something from someone else. So you have a right to speak free because that's not an imposition on anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. A negative right versus a positive right is the typical language that is used. Conservatives believe in negative rights. People on the left believe in positive rights. This would be like the right to education, where you can say to the sky that you have a right to education, but unless you're actually forcing a teacher to teach, right. then there's no right, right? The same thing, right to housing, right to health care. The left is very big hey, into hey, declaring... you have a right, right to health care. I believe you have a right to health care. Now we got them started on the impressions, yeah. and it's not going to stop, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's right. So the, so the idea there is that in a state of nature where no one else is around, you have these particular rights. You have the right to make it to, to go out and labor. You have the right to, to control your labor. You have the right to speak freely. You have the right to free assembly, to worship God how you want. You have the right to do all of these things because you're not imposing on anybody else. The minute that you're imposing on anybody else, it's no longer a right. So the baking cake example is actually a good one. There are folks on the left who say you have a right to go into somebody's shop yeah. and demand a service from them. The answer is you don't have a right to go into somebody's shop and demand a service from them. Maybe you'd prefer if they give you that service. Maybe it's smarter if they give you that service. Maybe it's more moral if they give you that service. But you don't have the right to go and demand service from anyone, from anyone else. 
because rights are things that I am not demanding from you. Mm-hmm. Now, the flip side of that is duties, which is because you have a right to life, I have a, I have a duty not to kill you. Mm-hmm. But I would have that duty not to kill you regardless of whatever you call that right. Okay, so while you were gone, apparently yeah. there are a bunch of people who have been asking about whether you are indeed funded by the nefarious, evil, terrible Koch brothers. Oh, Lord. So let's give go. you the opportunity to answer why you're in the pay of the Shekel masters. All right, first off, well, if anyone wants to know if this thing is edited or not, I think there you go. Okay, I'm glad you asked, actually, because this is just endless drivel that is, you know, this is partly one of the things about just online nonsense. It's like you could spend all day defending yourself about untrue claims and the attacks that we get and personal attacks, and it's like, Often, and Sam, when I had him on last time, a couple months ago, he said for the two years that he was under endless assault, he almost views all his defense as wasted time. Because often, no, the, truth, the truth will, it'll set you free, it'll, it'll, um, it's the right thing, the truth. But often, if you're, if you're debating against, or your protagonists or attackers don't care about truth, then you're just feeding them. By giving them anything, you're just feeding more insanity. Which is why I haven't, I think I've, Maybe I've even addressed this publicly. I'm not even sure. Okay, so here's the deal. And I've been completely transparent about this the entire time. It's so stupid. So Learn Liberty, which is they produce one show of ours a month. They've given us incredible professors like Deirdre McCloskey and Randy Barnett and Steve Davies and Sean Hopwood and people from all, and Thaddeus Russell, people from all over the political map. They produce one show a month. They give us a list of professors. I can pick any of them. And if I don't like any of them, I can pick anyone else. They've given us people all over the political map. They've sponsored our episode with Phil DeFranco, the YouTuber. They had never even met him or had any interaction with him. They just liked him. So I said, Learn Liberty at the top. This episode's brought to you by Learn Liberty, our our friends at Learn Liberty or whatever. And then they donated. They were going to give him a little bit of money. He didn't even want it. They donated it to a a cause that he cares about. So I think what has happened here is that Learn Liberty is a uh, subsidiary or in partnership with Institute for Humane Studies, which I think is through George Mason University. And I believe that David Koch, one of the Koch brothers, is on the board there and must give some money to it. I know for a fact that the person who has funded our relationship, my relationship with Learn Liberty, is an anonymous woman. And I know that because they told me that she's anonymous and that it's a woman, and I personally wrote her a thank you note. I wanna be 100% spectacularly crystal clear. They have had no control over our content. I ask whatever questions I want. We never, never edit for content. We did once in my hundreds of interviews. It was with a celebrity for a reason that is completely irrelevant and not important. They, they have never told me anything to say. They, there, is nothing, there is literally nothing untoward here. And, I've, and I've always, I always start the episode by saying we're funded or we're, we're in partnership with Learn Liberty. So we're funded by Learn Liberty for that one episode. Anyway, this is just endless drivel. And I, it's almost like you can see I'm sort of, yeah. it's like I don't even want to talk about it because it's like this is all bullshit. This is all distracting bullshit. And it's like that's all nonsense. And the amount that we get from them, by the way, pales in comparison to to what we're trying to build on Patreon and everything else. So it's like, no, no one has ever told me to say anything. No one has even ever asked me to say anything. I've never had contact with the Cokes. No one has ever said anything. And by the way, I would love to interview the Cokes. I would have literally no problem. The Cokes fund, um, the, the Cokes fund, uh, you know, Lincoln Center, and I think they put money towards PBS and all sorts they're of They're actual libertarians. I mean, yeah, they're, they're... so like, I don't have a problem with any of that. So just to be crystal clear, for anyone listening to this or for any of these people that just relentlessly hate me or whatever, 
I am not funded by the Koch brothers. So I guess Period. what you're saying is you're funded by the Koch brothers, <laughs> and obviously in their pay. There are million, there are millions of people in this country who are who donate to nonprofits, and it's like if you work with a nonprofit, you might be in. Then you're in cahoots, and obviously control. It's just. It's, it's, it's really just so irritating. dumb. I, I hope we clean that up, but you know, I know it'll just give endless. All right, so here's a, here's another super chat question. Yeah. Play prognosticator. What are President Trump's chances of re-election in 2020? I would say basic, sh- short of some sort of impeachment thing, and I have to catch up on a little bit of the news that you enlightened me on. I would say basically pretty good. If if the left's decision to go down the road of identity politics and and social democrats, socialist democrats, whatever the hell they're called now, but the the Bernie Keith Ellison wing, which is an which is basically an extremist wing of a party, uh, then they're going to be in a lot of trouble. If the if is there any blue dog Democrat left? If that thing could come back, a sensible liberal. Believe me, I could vote for someone who's probably a little more big government than I am. I, I wish, and I talked about it for years, I, want my, I used to say my guys. I wanted my side, the left, the Democrats, to wake up. There's no sign whatsoever that they're going to wake up. Uh, potentially, look, if they get slammed in the midterms, then maybe they wake up. But you, you're predicting that they won't. I suspect it's not going to be that bad, actually, if, if you're a Republican, because I don't think there's anyone who voted for Trump that suddenly looks at the left and thinks that they're better. No, I you think, know, but, I, I, but their numbers may just be depressed. They right. may just not show up, and that's always what happens in midterms, and and it's never good for the incumbent president's party and all that stuff. But I suspect generally what they're offering is so, it really is fringe. And the only reason we don't think it's fringe is because the mainstream media jams it down our throat every day. And if we can get that message out to people, and I think you're particularly effective at doing it, but we need it to also get to people that won't listen to Ben Mm -hmm. Shapiro, right? We need to get to people that'll listen to me or, or whoever else, people that listen to Joe Rogan or whatever, even though I know we all have a lot of crossover. Uh, if that message could get out there, this thing that's being sold to you as so obvious and good and the government can fix everything and blah, 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 if we can show them that is a fringe idea, here are some better ways to freedom than I think, um, forget Trump for a second, I just think that that's a much better path for a, a healthy system. So I'm out of the political prognostication business since I lost $10,000 in the last election cycle. <laughs> but it's a, By I the just, way, I was with you the night of the election, which I've told many people, well, I've, I, yeah. I think we've talked about it publicly, but watching you that night, you know, it was, it was entertaining. Was like and, it was like being with like eight different people trying to burst out of one body. Oh my god, it was it was, really it, was, it, was, it was very wild. So yeah. you know, I'm I'm more skeptical that President Trump is heading a good path just because his approval ratings are so low, and there's only a referendum on him once every four years. So I think that you know, 2018 is shaping up pretty ugly for Republicans. The turnout numbers don't look good. Rep- Democrats are are over representing pretty much everywhere in the early elections. Do I think it's going to be like a 60 seat blowout? No, but I think that there's a good shot Democrats win about 35 seats in the House. Again, I could be completely wrong here, right? So, is the scariest part of that, though, that let's, okay, so let's say the Democrats take back the House and blah, blah, blah. it's just endless investigations. Yeah. Nothing gets done for a couple of years. Uh, also, here's the thing. President Trump is riding on excellent news for the past couple of years. He's at like 42% in the polls, usually 43% in the mm-hmm. polls. He benefited, number one, from Gary Johnson and Jill Stein winning a combined, I think, 6 7% of the vote in the last election cycle, but also... He has benefited now from a great economy and no major foreign policy crisis. We're overdue for some sort of economic downturn. There's Mm -hmm. one every eight to ten years in the country. It's been since 2008. Uh, So I'm a little, you know, God, God willing, we avoid it, and it just continues to be strong because it'd be good for the country. Um, But if by the way, that the the idea that the president is so in charge, he's not. He's not in charge of nearly any of the economy. Uh, It's 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 the. I think the president can put a serious damper on the economy, but I don't think that the president can be held responsible for, for the performance of a particular economy. Again, when people say Obama was great for the economy, it's like, well, so was the Republican Congress great for the economy? Because they were there since 2010. 
all of that said, you know, I, I think Democrats are going to turn out in droves in, in 2020 in a way they didn't in 2016. The real story of 2016 to me was no one showed up to vote for Hillary Clinton. Like, we're all focused on Trump because he's the center of the universe. Yeah. But the reality is that was a referendum on Hillary, not a referendum on Trump. Trump's approval ratings were absolutely stable. They were always between 40 and 44 percent. Hillary's bounced around from 40 to 50 because people would say, oh, well, maybe she'll be good. And then they'd look at her and they'd go, oh, God, she's going to be awful. <laughs> right. And they just wouldn't show up. Right. She won fewer votes in the state of, Donald Trump won fewer votes in the state of Wisconsin than Mitt Romney did in 2012. Trump won the state of Wisconsin. Romney lost the state of Wisconsin because no one showed up to vote for Hillary Clinton. I think Democratic turnout in 2020 is going to be real high. Trump has to win somewhere between 12 and 14 million additional votes between 2016 and 2020 in order to win because George W. had to win an additional 10 million votes to win, and he only lost by 500,000 in the popular vote. So how can that? How can Republicans win? Democrats can be awful, right? I mean, that's that's what you're basically saying. Yeah. And so it's I always think, a head-to-head matchup. Yeah. If Democrats run Kamala Harris, Trump will win. If Democrats run... Elizabeth Warren, I think Trump probably wins. Uh, if they run Kirsten Gillibrand, he will definitely win. If they run Joe Biden, I think it's an uphill run for, mm. for President Trump in the election. Think how sad that is, that you'd need to bring in this, I don't know how old, what, he'll be 72-year-old? Like, he'll be 78. Oh, God. He'll, he'll, be be s- he'll be 78, Trump will be 74, and the two of them will just club each other with their canes. They'll be, they'll, like, the, uh, you know how many yeah. tennis balls they'll go through <laughs> running on the, the bottom of those walkers? Yeah. Okay, here's, here's one. As a practicing Jew and as an atheist, what are both of your thoughts on the swing towards sexual, free, sexual freedom pre-marriage? Has it negatively affected long-term relationships? Can I hit this one yeah, first? Yeah, go so, for it. Yeah. Well, first off, I would say this is why, if, okay, practicing, so this is where saying you're a practicing Jew is a little, it's hard to know what that means because I would say you're on the sort of more... Uh, Modern Orthodox. Stri- stri- but strict side of that and that you're a yeah, practicing yeah. Jew. You're, okay. Versus there I was a version until I was married, yes. Right, okay, okay, so you are. All yes. Right. Um, so I would say this, this is another reason where people should basically be for gay marriage, not from the libertarian perspective, although of course that's, I think, the most honest perspective is that the government shouldn't be in your business, but also from a, if you think, you know, I think the, when the right was really fear-mongering for many years about gays and, and the Huckabees and the evangelicals were always, you know, and, and George W. Bush, because of Karl Rove, you know, used gay marriage as a wedge issue, and they were saying, well, look at the gays, they're all having all this sex and they're doing all these drugs and all well, guess what? If you don't let people have the same ability to love someone that they love, if you don't let people enter the same exact legal protections as everybody else, then people are going to act out in all sorts of ways, sexually, drugs, all sorts of things. I did all sorts of things. I never thought I was going to, I never really thought about marriage. I just didn't. I, I, I was closeted for a long time. I think I was all, all sorts of whacked out in, in many ways. But if you take a certain subset of people and say to them, you can't have the things that other people have that will eventually maybe allow you to have a family or whatever else, and you say, you can't have those, well then every, all your sex is going to be premarital. So if your answer is, because well, I hear this sometimes, people will say, well, gays should just be, you can be gay, but just be celibate. You know, that's one, I mean, it's ridiculous. And it's like, you have to, this is why gays, or conservatives, I think really, it's, it's happened already, so it doesn't even yeah. really matter. But it's like, you should be for gay marriage in a way that actually is for all the other things you're for, because you guys want a certain this societal is best, stability and everything else. This is, this is the best else. case for same-sex marriage. Yeah. So the best case for same-sex marriage is the one that you just made. It's even better than the, the equal rights argument, because the equal rights argument, you could easily say, well, the role of marriage in, between a man and a woman and a man and a man is a little bit different just because of natural childbearing and rearing that right. occurs in And this is, by the way, why you guys didn't make this argument before 
right? Like you weren't pounding the libertarian argument for gay marriage eight years ago. I started hitting it in about 2012, 2013. So that was so probably it, a little bit before most conservatives yeah, came around. Yeah. But generally, libertarians even weren't, or I guess liber, real uh, libertarians I mean, my were. basic idea was basically I want the government out of everything, and the government sucks at everything. Yeah. But as far as the, the argument in favor of same-sex marriage, if the argument is in favor of stable, you know, two-person relationships as opposed to wild promiscuity, in every circumstance, that is going to be superior. Yeah. But uh, imagine, imagine telling a subset of people. I mean, imagine if the world was reversed. Gays were the majority and straights were the reverse. And I said to you, Ben, you cannot marry a woman. Well, now, you're going to do all sorts of things. Like, it, it just is. I, if I you're hear the, nature, uh, you know, I, I, hear, I hear the argument. It's interesting, because I think we actually have a slight disagreement here. If somebody yeah. were to say that to me, yeah. then my argument would be, well, I don't understand why societal institutions would make the decision for me as to whether I should live with one person or not. Well, of meaning course. That, I, I, uh, meaning that, like, even if society said, like, as, as a person who is libertarian on the government issue of marriage, my vision is, well, I go to my synagogue and that provides me the all the legitimacy I feel like I need with my spouse, which is why I say, like, if gay people want to get married in their church, go for it, like, enjoy. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it's, you know, I, I, I think it's hard to make the case that promiscuity is deeply connected with lack of same-sex marriage. I think that promiscuity is, is connected with personal decision-making just because what you see is that there's a wild raise, rise in promiscuity in the straight community. Forget the gay yeah. community. There's a wild rise in, in rates of promiscuity. Everyone's swiping right. And it, that, that's, or I guess you swipe left if you want I it. I have no idea, dude. There's a you're, swipe you're in the wrong. I know it's all about a swipe. Yeah. But, is it, but, it's, but if, if you look at the rates of single motherhood, for example, those have been on the rise since the 1960s, and that's in a situation where straight people are allowed to get married, and they have been allowed to get married historically. So, right. the, so correlating the institution of marriage with with promiscuity, I think, is a difficult argument to make, just statistically speaking. Okay, but, so we'd have to yeah, see but, some but numbers if the, on but, that, but, but if yeah. the argument is that, that institutionalizing marriage will make people less promiscuous, then I think that's actually, uh, that, that's the best argument for same-sex marriage, I think, that's out there. If I were going to steal man the same-sex marriage argument, that'd be the argument. You need more stable relationships, you need less instability, you need people who feel that that's actually a positive societal good to live with one person as opposed to living with a hundred other people. You know, that's, that's a, you know, that, that I think is the strongest argument. So are you saying you're for enforced monogamy? <laughs> oh, man. Man, that, that whole thing is so, it's stupid, so but stupid. It's so stupid. So but but it, is, it is true that a society that, every social science study ever done has shown that when people live together a long time before marriage, they tend to get divorced at higher rates than they would if they weren't, if they just gotten married, basically. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, I think, that if you, if you look at the, at the research on passion and, and sort of committed love, they move in opposite directions over the course of relationships. So when you first meet somebody, your passion level is incredibly high, and your level of committed love, meaning, you know, I know this person really well, I can count on this person, is really low. And then about six months in, passionate love goes like that, and committed love goes like that, which is why if you've married 10 years like I have, then, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about my wife, but to pretend that it's the same level of, like, sexual tension yeah. with somebody that I'm dating as 10 years later with two kids, of course that's not true. That doesn't mean I have a bad sex life, I have a wonderful sex life, but it's a different thing than it was at the very beginning. Well, if you correlate in your mind that what's great about a relationship is the passion level, mm -hmm. and, that, and then you live together with somebody for six months, and then you get married, and then your passion mm -hmm. level decreases, you mistake the, the correlation for the causation. You say, oh, it's marriage that caused it's the passion level to decline, not the fact that I've been living with someone for a while. Also, the fact is that the reason people aren't getting married in general in a society where you're allowed to get married, gay or straight, uh, is because you don't want to, right? right. And that means that you've already got an eye on the door in many cases. And that's not a real flattering idea for a lot of folks. So 
you know, pr- pr- I, I think promiscuity is, first of all, I think that one of the worst lies perpetrated against women is that women and men treat sex in exactly the same way, which mm-hmm. is absurd. Uh, the, the idea that promiscuity is good for women in the same way that it is quote unquote good for men is fully insane. I don't think it's good for either. Yeah. From a moral perspective, from a spiritual perspective, from a health perspective, but I think that the amount of damage that is done spiritually to women uh, who are who are promiscuous on average, not for every individual, it's a free country, do what you want, but the on average, the amount of psychological damage that is done to sixteen-year-old girls who are promiscuous is not nearly the same amount of damage. That it, it's wildly disproportionate to to men who are having right, like lots the guy, of right? Sex. So like Suicide the guy in high school, the guy in high school who's like banging a lot of the cheerleaders doesn't, it doesn't stick with him in a sort of psychological way. Well, I mean, the suicide rates are not the, the same. Yeah. The suicide rates yeah. among, among young men who are promiscuous is not even close to the suicide rate among young, I mean, there's the actual correlation between earlier sex for young women particularly uh, and, and suicide rates. Yeah. And that's because women and men, and we all used to know this, but women and men treat sex differently because women and men are not the same. Yeah, we should do a big, well, I want to do some big IDW panels in general yeah. and maybe do some stuff live, and I think we're discussing all sorts of stuff and all that. But this would be a really rich topic. Oh, for, for sure, because it, it does raise questions as to like what should we promote as a society? You know, forget about government regulation. You know, what, what should we but promote? just what are the basic... What are the basic social institutions yeah. that are necessary? And is it possible that we totally effed up relations between the sexes and the future of long-term relationships and marriage by separating sex from marriage in a really significant way, which, which began really before even the 60s. I mean, there's, mm. a, there's a decline in, in marriage that, that started before even the advent of the sexual revolution, per se. Uh, let's see, maybe a couple of more? Yeah. Uh, okay, so... Um, You're a good man. I know you have a real job and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to go write a bunch of crap after this. So um, let's see. Another another one. Let's do the last one here. Okay. um, (laughs) Does a political scale with statism on the left and anarchy on the right, this is from Patreon, where uh, constitutionalism lies a bit right of center, make more sense than the traditional left-right scale we use? Where does liberty lie on the traditional left-right scale? Um... I feel like we could do something a little more exciting okay, for, let's, for the let's, finish. But, I mean, I, why don't we both do that one in 30 seconds? Okay, so find the, something like a little more exciting. So the 30-second answer is that statism on the left, anarchy on the right, is basically the American political scale. The, the European political scale is nationalism versus internationalism. Right. And, so and we're shifting towards that. We are shifting toward that, and it's dangerous. Like, I think that the political scale that says statism is on the left and anarchy is on the right... Uh, I think that that's that is a better scale. I think it's a more accurate scale. Yeah, I don't mean to dismiss the question. I'll, I'll do more. Yeah, yeah, I'll no, do something on this question on Patreon itself. But but for our big finish here, I feel like uh, yeah, I, yeah I or agree. it can come out of Ben Shapiro. Okay, here we mind. go. Here yeah. we go. Um, would you agree? Would you agree with the idea that classically speaking, the left and the right have a fundamental disagreement on human nature? I.e., man being inherently good or evil. Keep up the great work. Yeah. Okay. Where, okay. Let's do All a human right. nature question. Let's do human nature. Uh, first, let me just tell you what I believe. I believe people are basically good. I believe you are, you are born, I, I think I pretty much buy into Pinker's blank slate, but I think you, you're basically born good. There's something innately human that you want to do good. Doesn't mean we do good all the time. We all do all sorts of things. We lie and we cheat and we do this and that. And, and, and you have moments in your life where we could all look back and go, whoa, the, you know, those couple of years I was really doing some, some self-destructive shit or, or some whatever it is. Um, but I think there is something uniquely human about wanting to do good. It's how, it's how human flourishing has existed. It's not just because of the, the stuff that we can empirically test and all that. There is something else about being human, that little spark that you see in a baby's eye when they know something's funny and they can't even speak. Like there is something else that is, that is there that is human that is good. And I think 
it's sort of your job to try to enhance that as much as possible. At least I see that as my job, and I'm trying, and I, I will fail often, and I'll continue to fail. Um, but I'm really trying to be the best person that I can be while I am here. And I think that comes from something that's way before me. That comes from something that I can't prove with uh, tools here and measurements. Like, it's just something that is. I think that's probably a little bit of what your answer is, but maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that to, to, to a lot of folks on the left, the idea that human beings are inherently good means that if we just unshackle you from the bounds of society, this is sort of the Rousseau idea uh, that this that your innate goodness will spring forth and everything will be great. Or from the Marxian idea, if you just change the economic system, then we will all be inherently better and we'll see each other as brothers as opposed to enemies. Uh, so I am of the kind of founding fathers idea, which is basically a biblical idea, which is that people are not angels and not devils. We're human beings. Yep. We have capacity for good. We have capacity for evil. Uh, well, I love my two-and-a-half-year-old son. He's a nutcase, and, uh, and were he an adult, he would be the worst person in the world. He, is, you know, he, he wants what he wants, and he wants it when he wants it, and he doesn't care about hitting people. And so you is, don't think he's innately good or innately evil. You think he just is as a human, and, and it's sort of your job as a parent this is what and society's is, right? job. It's, it's, it's civilization and inculcating virtue, that's your job as an adult. And I think that the danger in the belief that people are inherently good is the idea if you just free them, everything is okay. Well, free them from political institutions is one thing, but freeing them from social fabric and social institutions is a whole nother thing. So this is where I would say this is why I still consider myself a classical liberal and not a libertarian, because I do think there is some role for government, and it's to protect those things. And for me, it's not even about the role of government. I think where libertarians really go wrong is the suggestion that social institutions are the cause of all the world's evils, that what we really need is get rid of, all, knock down all the churches, knock down all of the, the places that are inculcating virtue, and Right, of course. Yeah. But but you know, somebody asked here about debating Yaron Brook. I've invited Yaron on my program for for specifically this because Ayn Rand. Oh, are you guys some, doing it? I know I know he wants I, to do I, it. I so. mean, I'd love to have him on. I, or I or I'm happy to do it here. I know yeah, he wants no, to do I, it. I, so I, we'll, I mean, I think that we disagree on less than I, I think that there's some semantic games being played about about objectivism and what exactly is self interest and all this all kind right, of stuff. All right, but, let's do it. We'll do yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'm happy to I'm happy to do that. But it's but with that said, I think that recognizing that human beings are are capable of evil is a deeply important thing to recognizing that you have to, as an adult, cultivate your children in a way that they are going to be good. So is that, that, is that different, though, than what I said? Because I, I believe we are born good, but it doesn't mean that evil, yes, I, I don't think, you I can't don't, act evilly or, or that evil can't so I don't generate think, through a lot of people. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I'm very reticent to use the language we're born good, because yeah. I don't think that babies are born with an innate, I think they're born with a basic, basic innate moral sense, but it's really basic and non-cultivated. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you had a baby's morality, if the if the world were run by babies, we'd all be dead. Uh, and not just because they're dumb, <laughs> give you but, that also, much, but also because they're, they're not moral. They're not moral creatures. They want what they want when they want it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's something that has to be cultivated by, by society. And reason is something that must be cultivated over time. And that's why it's a constant attempt by anyone who's good to try and say, okay, what is impacting my reason here? Is it passion that's impacting my reason? Is it bias that's impacting my reason? What is it that's, that's making me unreasonable about this thing? And the more reasonable we are, hopefully, the better we are as human beings, because we've actually fully considered the, the ramifications of the, of the policies that we're pursuing and the actions that we're taking in our daily lives. So I'm, I'm very into the, the risk of the, what we call in, in Judaism, the Yetzer Hara. The, you know, I mean, you know this, right? There's the Yetzer Hatov and there's the Yetzer Hara. There's kind of the good inclination and the bad inclination. And the idea in Judaism is they're constantly at war with one another. Uh, and it's your job to try and strengthen the Yetzer Hatov so that it, it overcomes the Yetzer Hara. I think that's the struggle of mankind. And it's a, it's a Christian notion as well. I mean, the idea of the, the fall, you know, in, 
sin is now embedded in you. Uh, and even after, after Jesus is coming about, you still have to struggle with that, obviously. You still have to struggle with the, the Satan behind you, basically. Um, but I think that recognizing the capacity for evil is, is perhaps the first step in becoming good. And so this is why I'm extraordinarily reticent to say man is naturally good. I think man is naturally uh, neither. I think man is naturally driven toward self-interest and nastiness and tribalism and evil. And man is naturally driven to, to fight that sort of stuff in, in a variety of ways. But it requires an act of will in order to overcome all of those other inclinations. Yeah, and I can, I can get on board all that, and, and I still, my fundamental belief is that people are good, but you still, you do have to cultivate it. I think people in Western society are good, and I think yeah. that's, that's an outgrowth of, of several thousand years of, of history. I think that if, if we dropped of, you in the middle- A lot of grooming. I think if we dropped you in the middle of Afghanistan, you'd be pretty effed. I'd be probably very different than I am right now. Uh, as Peterson always says on this topic, the devil's in the details. So, uh, well, I gotta tell you, man, first off, thank you for doing this. I know you're busy as hell. Oh, you bet. And, I'm, and you, know, you were the right guy to, to sit well, down. Well, thanks, yeah, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm always happy to wreck your day, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this, it's, I'm glad that we also ended on this note, because this, that conversation that we just had, I think, is what I think really matters. And I think that's why people are showing, you know, thousands of people are showing up to your live events. Thousands of people are showing up to these events that I'm doing with Peterson. And by the way, we're, we're, I'll do a live stream later, but we, we just extended the tour into 2019. People don't want this endless bloodshed, this mutually assured destruction. And uh, I'll keep trying to And what you learned in the last month is in, in what is obvious is that headline of the day is less important than the big ideas. And so trying to escape headline of the day sounds like it was a good idea for you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Shapiro. I'm going to go here for one second. That's my camera right in my studio over here. Uh, all right. So here's what we're going to do. I will do a, we launched a whole bunch of stuff today. So I finally got DaveRubin.com after 10 or 15 years of trying. So we have an all new website. We launched an all new Patreon uh, this morning that I want to do a live stream and talk to you guys about because I really want to start doing some, uh, some new community building. As you can see, we have a new set. We have new graphics. We have new music. I'm sure you're all commenting on all of those things. Uh, so I'll do a live stream probably in about an hour or two. Uh, so we'll post that. And uh, again, thanks to uh, Shapiro over here. And we'll set up that thing with Brooke. And uh, what else? Can I pimp anything else out for you? Uh, go check out my podcast, yeah. Ben Shapiro Show. Have you heard of the Ben Shapiro Show? All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. <laughs>